Attention! Welcome to the Film Mages Podcast, where the popcorn is our ammunition, the couch is our foxhole, and the cinema is our place of worship. Now let me see your war face! And you are on the air. Hi. Hello. Hi. How's it going, everyone? It's going well. Hello, Mr. It's going Harris. So it's so good. It's going so good. This is a Chino, Maricino. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's me. It's Maricino. It's Maricino. Um, You're Maricino today? Huh, yeah, that's Alexis. That's Alexis. I'm Zach. I'm Mick. And we're the film majors. We did it backwards that time. We did. It was nice. Oh, I know, right? Oh, did, did you guys hear, though? What? Here it is. Oh, fuck you. No, I don't even want to do it anymore. You, you don't even want to do it. Just do it. Come on. What is you, it? No, no. No. What no, is it? I don't no. know what it is. I don't know what it that's is. That's okay. No. I'm not going to do I don't want to do it. I don't want to do no, it either. No, I don't want to do any of it. Wait, no, hold on. This, this whole episode should just be us <laughs> not <laughs> wanting to do it. I'm not going to. I'm not going I to. Ref- I simply refuse. The last time I did it, you guys made fun of me that it was forced in. Yeah, you did a bad job. Uncouth. You did a bad job. It was yeah, a bad yeah, job. Yeah, no. I never know what's going on. Between you two. Whoa! Oh, High five. What's going on? We're in our famous segment. Alexis, that was really smooth and buttery. I appreciated it. Damn. Thank you. Like a plant based butter. She thought she wasn't going to be able to do it, but she came back strong. She came back strong. That's what I think. That whole thing was a part of the bit. I appreciated that. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I love love getting knocked down and back better than ever. Playing 4D chess. Yes. Knockback. 4D chess. Like 4D chess. It's chess with smell of vision. Yeah. Stinky chess beans. Mm. So, uh, mm. film major mm. listeners, um, <laughs> I hope you're doing well. Yeah. Um, if I, you're if you're new, hello. If you're new, hello. This and is if our you're famous segment. New, hello as well. This is our famous segment. What's going on? What's, what's going on? That that explains the music. Yeah. You were probably you probably thought you were being invaded by you're raiders. Like, what of, is this? Some battalion of some kind. But no, that's just the music no, from our episode. You can relax. You can relax. Put the gun down. It's okay. It's You're just safe. us. You don't have to go out like that. That's right. Um, Alexis, mm-hmm. uh, how, what's up? Yeah, what's up <laughs> what's in your life? Let's, let's talk about, let's, let's let's get talk the, about you for let's a minute. Get the ball it's, been, it's been a minute since we talked. I know. It's been like, I don't know, like a week and a half. Actually, I'm really excited. Uh, I finally, this has finally been like a chill week. Like things are finally coming to a close with uh, blueberry season. Hell yeah. No more fruity fruits. Which is, you know, it's not so sad. It's like, it's like blueberry season's coming to a close. Bye-bye all the fruits. You know, pride season's coming to a close. Goodbye to all the, the fruity fun on the podcast. We're losing um, all the fruits. Wow. They're all getting We're losing overrated. all the fruits all at the what same a- time. I feel dejected. Yeah. <laughs> Let I, me tell you. I, you know what? I'm glad she brought this up. I recently, I've kind of taken after you, Zach. And then also someone recently told me that eating eggs every morning, like, adds to your cholesterol. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do a fruit-only breakfast. And that's what I did. I had a black coffee and fruit before my workout. It was fantastic. I got the trots, but still, it was good. The trots? Yeah, oh. it's like diarrhea. Oh. I mean, it's just a lot that's of sugar and fiber okay, and right. just black coffee. See, what I, what I tend to do before wow. I go to the gym is I do 
fruit, you, you, but you, I put a little bit of peanut yeah, butter yeah, on yeah, a banana. Get, that get a little bit, of, get a little bit of protein. You go, you go smooth peanut butter. Though. I'm, a, I'm a chunky boy. I like All the right. chunky peanut butter. Extra, okay. extra chunky. I don't really want to hear about your chunky peanut butter after Not you just bad. talked about oh, how you on, have Alexis, the shits. It's for the listeners. Yeah. It's for you. It's for you it and your <laughs> sick, degenerate <laughs> self. Don't, don't act like this is for someone else. It's the fans loving, man. Hey, I'm the only one on the show that has gotten a fan letter from Zach's mom. It's, it's, wait, so wait, I it's feel me emboldened. with the patootsies and it's Mick with the papootsies. <laughs> I almost went to a papootsie stand today, actually. <laughs> we seen any movies, guys? No, I've been avoiding them all. I costs. went to go see The Little Mermaid again. Oh, okay. we can't don't, start Zach, another don't, episode. Yeah, Zach, don't acknowledge. Do not acknowledge that. We're going to move on from that. Uh, um, what else did you else, see? Alexis? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I saw a couple of things, but I'm I'm really excited to go see uh, Past Lives this week because it finally came to Fresno. Ooh. So it's finally coming to Fresno tomorrow. I also I've been need waiting. To see that. I've been checking for like weeks I, now to see like when it was coming. I'm glad you brought that up. I watched that two days ago, and mm-hmm. so good. It's it's uh, it's up there with John Wick Chapter Four. Wow. Yes. And what I mean by that is, uh, it's it's. I John think, Wick Chapter Four is still my number one of the yeah, year. No, no, Nothing has dethroned it yet. I, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, John I Wick Chapter like Four. I feel like I'm huffing paint every time you guys bring it up. You haven't you feel, seen it. You haven't seen it, which means you feel high and euphoric. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, it's still so my number one. But I feel like it gives you a good idea of my taste in film. That my two favorites of the year are Past Lives, which is a very uh, uh, calm and kind of an intimate story. It's an intimate story. It's a, it's an indie. It's fantastic. It's a love letter to Manhattan. It, uh, it reminded me of like Woody Allen's Manhattan or any hall or when Harry met Sally, it t- takes place over a long period of time. And it's also a freshman effort from a director. Wow. Bear in mind, she's done a TV show, but still this is a film. I'm going to count that as a First freshman feature, effort. Yeah. It is so good. It is so, so good. Excellent. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah. And then your other favorite of the year so far has been John Wick. It has Chapter been John Wick Chapter Four because it rules. And there's a gun it's that fantastic. lights people on fire. What's better? Dragons. That's baby. actually there is a connection uh, between John Wick Chapter Four and one of the films we're talking about today. And uh, I think that yes, speaks sir. to somebody's range. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Mm. But we'll get into that That's later. That's right. Uh, Laying the little nuggets of info right there. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, like a little bit of a teaser. All right. Yes. Well, uh, so Mick, you saw Past Lives. I saw Past Lives. I recommend it. Go watch it. I saw uh, three new releases since we last recorded. And what were they? Uh, I saw Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's new movie. I saw that. I loved it. Go on. I saw The Blackening, which was uh, directed by Tim Story. Uh, and <laughs> I said, what? His name It's funny Tim oh, Story Is it? I think so Okay It's like an ice cream guy's name Cone or something You're an interesting guy Thank you uh, That's a line from Seinfeld mm. I wish I could take credit for it Yeah well, such I a like you less joke. Uh, So then uh, The last one that I saw Was uh, the cinematic event of the summer <gasps> You saw it without me? I did Fuck No hard feelings Damn Starring it. Jennifer Lawrence it's too late My feelings are hurt uh, And I would say in terms of how much I liked all of them, it probably goes Asteroid City, No Hard Feelings, The Blackening. Uh, Brief thoughts. I thought The Blackening was a good enough comedy. Yeah. But Tim's story uh, does not have any background with horror, and it really shows. 
it's not a good horror comedy. Um, Tim Story, for those of you who don't know, directed the original two Fantastic Four movies. That's the only thing I know him Never from. He, I looked at his filmography. I was kind of surprised that this was uh, the film that he uh, he chose to direct. But, uh, you know, if you wanted to watch something that uh, centers around the Juneteenth holiday on Juneteenth, you could do worse than The Blackening. Solid right. movie. I was entertained, but didn't love it. I still want to watch it. Uh, no Hard Feelings is very funny, mm. and I am thrilled to see that it outgrossed The Flash. Uh, oh, the movies yeah. are back. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence bringing back, like, raunchy R-rated comedy. God bless. Mid-budget. No. Made its money. I laughed a lot. There is a... Uh, there's one scene where, uh, mild spoilers, Jennifer Lawrence rampages around in the nude, uh, gets an uppercut straight to the pussy, and yeah. uh, then clotheslines a teenager. Yikes. That's awesome. Uh, just, heard- like, choke slams them <laughs> into the dirt. I was driving, uh, and I heard on the radio, they were talking about that I on the radio, that. that she does a full frontal. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Clearly a script I- that she believed in. She's, she's friends with the writer-director. Nice. I really love Jennifer Lawrence just, like, as a person when she does her press tours. I'm always, like, so uh, entertained by just her personality. Like, her on Hot Ones, the, like, the the, Great. the the cut together, hilarious. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, and she hadn't done a movie for, like... Yeah. Uh, she hasn't prior, done a movie for a while. Yeah, prior to Causeway last year, she took, like, four years off. She um, kind of Joseph yeah, Gordon-Levitt Well, she herself. had a baby, too. Oh, oh she did? did? I didn't know that. Well, congratulations, uh, Jennifer congratulations, Lawrence. Congratulations, Ms. Oh Lawrence. Gosh. Uh, but yeah, uh, the kid who, I mean, he's not a kid. He's in his 20s. But um, her co-star, Andrew Barth Feldman, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I knocked. Yeah. I mean, I could have tried harder. Yeah, you should have tried harder. We've got music going in the background. I don't think we, I don't think we clued in. The end roommate that we well, were recording. We, we should text him. Yeah, we should probably text him. Mm, the end roommate. I happen to know that is going clubbing right now. It sounds like that's someone. <laughs> I won't. I won't say who, because I would never want to put them on blast like this. But they've seen the flash like three times. Oh, I am well aware. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. And I was like, no, don't give him your money. <laughs> Yeah, no, don't. You don't need to encourage that kind of behavior. Uh, no. But uh, then I also saw Asteroid City, which uh, has jumped up right behind John Wick Chapter 4. It's a favorite of the year. Uh, I love that Wes Anderson has made a movie that is uh, fairly narratively inaccessible. Uh, and... Uh, at a time when people are doing fucking stupid, like, AI-generated Wes Anderson videos. Yeah. Him proving that, no, you can't fucking do what I do. Yeah. What I do is... I love his know, reaction to, yeah. that, to that. Like, yeah. You can't, like, you can't make a robot yeah, Wes, do what I do. Wes Anderson said, stop sending me TikToks of people emulating my work because I will just not watch it. I won't do it. I heard that he actually doesn't watch, like, mostly anything. Mm. He said that he's, like, he, yeah. Like, well, that's you what I know heard. It. Like, he, well, yeah, I mean, like, it would make sense because his work is just so entirely 
his. Yeah. Like, you can't really see, like, other people's, yeah. like, influences necessarily, and it really doesn't change really the, the essence of what well, he does usually. Well, I, I think you get plenty of influences with his work, but it's not usually to other filmmakers. It's like... Well, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, other artists and stuff. Like, I forget the name of this famous German illustrator from the early 20s or some shit like that, and he... He made all these like the expressionism era. Not really. It's just kind of like these uh, um, card cutouts that he he was the one that basically invented the pop up greeting card. Oh, interesting. And his design was it's very Wes Anderson, and so much of his movies are like that. I saw Asteroid City as well uh, on the big screen. So beautiful. It is such a beautiful movie. The miniatures, the uh, the Roadrunner puppet is so cute. The cast is amazing. Jason Schwartzman's um, never been better. He He's so good. He's fucking incredible. The way he movie. delivers, uh-huh, is yeah. <laughs> repeatedly like, uh-huh, is his catchphrase. It's so, so good. I, I kind of disagree with you, though, Zach, on Tom Hanks. I, sometimes I think actors don't fit Wes Anderson's style. Sometimes, like, I'm going to put one, my favorite movie of his is Grand Budapest Hotel, yep. which has the great Harvey Keitel in it. And I will go on record saying that Harvey Keitel's performance in that I don't love because it kind of it's it's kind of sticks out like a, a, a sore thumb is it's not a, it's not quirky like everyone else. That's kind of where I'm at with Tom Hanks in this. Interesting. His performance is he, good. I thought he slots in perfectly. His performance is good. I don't know. He just kind of stuck out as being like, oh, it's Tom Hanks, not because of his face, but because of the, the style in which he acts uh, isn't quite as quirky. Um, but that's just me. Uh, I don't think you still need great. that for that part, though. I think that's much more I, of like a Gene Hackman in Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, I, I suppose. Kind I, of one role. of my favorite parts, though, of the movie was Tom Hanks delivers a line saying, um, you know, when Jason Schwartzman says, I'm grieving, Tom Hanks retorts with, so am I. And he says it, and it's a close-up shot of him, and you can see the pain in his eyes. Yeah. Tom Hanks is a fucking good actor. Um, but no, I, I really enjoy it. It's my favorite movie of his since Grand Budapest. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, Have I, you seen I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, nah, I've just been too busy with work. Mm. Like, I've been, Fair like, enough. dying. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, uh, my mom saw it. She's not really a Wes Anderson person, but uh, so she was like, it was, it was okay. Um I don't think she really uh, enjoys his dialogue style necessarily. I think that might be part of what it is. Yeah. Um, it's You uh, have to watch it twice, I think, because the information comes at you so quickly. Yeah. You don't glean everything in one go unless you were like, unless you take like an Adderall art before you watch it. Sick. Yeah. Go at 150. No. There you go, uh, speaking everyone. Of 150, you have you guys ever gone off-roading before? That shit is fucking terrifying. Have you ever gone off-roading? Never, 10 out of 10. Yeah, 10 out of 10 will not do that again. Like in a car? Like, not in a car, like in a four-wheeler, like oh, yeah. bigger than a golf cart, but like, you know, like, like with an the ATV. big wheels yeah, and like, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or a gator. Like a dune buggy. Kind of type, kind of, but like bulkier than that a little bit. I don't know, but that shit was wild. We'll never do that again. I felt like I was gonna die the whole fucking time. Oh, you Uh, might be. Wait, hold on. Are you talking about a sand rail, like the fast things, like the the, in the dunes and shit like that? No, because it's got like a metal cage. 
Do you sit mm, in like a like of. a metal? Case? Let's figure this out. No, I want to do this because okay. I love this. All right, so it is. You, there's a metal frame, but there's no like full cage around it. Yes. Um, that's a sand okay. rail. Yeah, yeah, that's a sand rail. Okay, I don't I don't do these things often. So, I, I know, drove I one of those last year. This. Aren't they fun? Yeah, yeah I got stuck uh, in no. the sand. It's great. Yeah. yeah, you don't like it? Yeah, no, I definitely was no. Wait, don't you like <laughs> roller coasters though? I love roller coasters. And so you so um, you are a thrill seeker, but you just didn't like this. I'm a thrill seeker. I love the feeling of I'm going to die, but right. I don't like the feeling of like cuz it wasn't like on sand. We were like in the mountains and there's mm-hmm. like, you know, specifically like back roads that you can take for like off-roading and stuff up there. Right. Cuz my boss has like a house up at the lake up there and um <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, it was him driving. You know, he was definitely going a little crazy, which I guess is the point of off-roading. And I don't know, maybe just as I get older, I feel less adventurous with my life. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, also no, kind of ties of into one of the movies That's we're talking true. about today. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Don't, didn't, didn't, didn't love that. But um, I did actually watch a few other movies. What so. did you watch, Alexis? What did you watch? What did I you did. Uh, I I watched um, The Innocent, which was a French movie that was released, um, I guess, technically mm-hmm. last year at the Cannes, Cannes Festival. Um, but the director is Louis Garel, and uh, he also starred in the other movie that I watched. Um, but The Innocent, 10 out of 10. That was so much fun. I did not expect where it was fucking going. Like, I... I I don't know. The mom was like really unhinged and it, it ended up being like this, like partially this heist movie. They incorporated like some some acting and like, t- you know, tapping into like emotional memory. And then like during this scene where like these two characters are, you know, they're they become kind of roped into the heist and they're the distraction and they're like having this conversation that's supposed to be keeping the attention of this trucker and then them tapping into this emotional memory actually ends up like making them reveal their feelings to each other and it was just it just it was so comical though at the same time as as serious as it was and I don't know I really enjoyed it I was really surprised like halfway through I thought oh it's just gonna be like I thought I knew where it was going, and I just absolutely did not. That movie so. got Alexis gassed up. Yeah. It really it. did. Yeah. It really did. Because like I definitely like, yeah, I stopped it halfway through and then came back to it like the next day because I was like really tired, and I was like, oh shit! Like I popped right back in, and then I was just like, oh my god, so in it. Um, but it was it was nice. It was like this bookend. Like it kind of began and it kind of ended in the same way that it began too. Um, and I love it when movies do that. Love it. Um, yeah. And so then the, the other movie that I watched, I did like a, a triple feature, um, which included one of the movies that we we're we're reviewing. Uh-huh. Um, so I watched uh, The Dreamers, which was uh, released in 2003, uh, directed by Bernardo Bertolucci, I think is his name. Bertolucci. It stars Bertolucci. And it stars Louis Garrel. It was actually the first movie I'd ever seen Louis Garrel in. And it kind of started this whole like, I love Louis Garrel in high school for me um, and me watching like a bunch of French movies. Um, but yeah, it's like this uh, American student in France and he's going to the Cinematheque like, you know, all the time. Classic. And Always meets, trying to do that. 
Yeah, classic, classic. And uh, he ends up meeting these two siblings, right? And he gets, like, invited over to their house. And uh, anyways, it ends up being, like, this very strange thruple dynamic. But then there's also, like, they play this game where they're constantly kind of, like, playing out scenes from like movies and like referencing them and like making them play play like guess what it is and if you don't guess it right then you get like a penalty and it just kind of like ups the ante of their relationship with each other um so you said in your review that they intercut clips of the movies they're talking about right Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Interesting. So it's a old black and white movies that they intercut with this and it takes place in the 1968. So all the movies are like basically like some anywhere between like 1932 to like, I don't know, 1950 something. Nice. Very cool. Love yeah. it. I, I read your reviews, Alexis, and it looks like a damn good triple feature. I have to check that it was out. So yeah. much fucking fun. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is. Yeah, it was great. Nice. Well, Zach, have you seen anything else? I've seen something else. I don't know if I want to talk about it. Oh, I saw one other thing. Wait, wait, what did you see? Well, it's just, you know, it's kind of a little indie movie. You know, it kind of flew under the radar. But, you know, at certain points, I do feel that it reached towering heights. Oh, really? You mean it went sky high? Like, reached sky high? (laughs) Done. Done. It's getting closer. I went to Jamba Juice today and they played a radio trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. It's incredible. Were you getting pumped up in the Jamba Juice? I was getting pumped up. Were you doing a little dance? I was doing a little dance to do my little Tom Cruise dance from, what's that movie? Tropic Thunder? No, the other one. Risky Business. Risky Business. There it is. Risky Thunder. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we watched yes. Mission Impossible, <laughs> watched Mission Impossible. <laughs> Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Protocol, the fourth installment in the Mission oh. Impossible series directed by Brad Bird. And so good. This is where the series Love really, this is where the series really starts it, to get the it juice. Does. It part, uh, it's stuff that we talked about is partly what's so great about it is that it, it, it's right after Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. So you kind of have a, a bad taste in your mouth. You're like, oh, man, I'm a little maybe maybe these Mission Impossible movies aren't as good as I thought they were. And then you watch Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And you're like, holy shit. Balls. Yeah. This is what the movies are all about. You're goddamn right. This uh, was his direct. His yeah. So live was, action. Yeah. Debut. The first live action film that Brad Bird directed. And it was also incredible coming off of uh, Tom Cruise. Having some pretty bad press uh, during the, the yeah during the War of the Worlds yeah. uh, press tour mm-hmm. yeah people were kind of like this guy uh, this seems like off. seems like he's in a malignant cult and might be a psychopath uh, yeah. and you know then he responded by making this film which by the way hasn't changed yeah confirming that our suspicions that he is in fact a <laughs> lunatic uh, but using those powers to scale the world's tallest building Incredible. on film. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, That's what got me excited for the franchise with them. That movie came out. Yeah. And I remember my parents were like, not going to see it because I told them like, if you watch the trailer, like him jumping out of that building, like he actually did that. And my parents were like, he's insane. He has a death wish. Only a, only a psychopath would do something like that. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah but that's exactly. a good thing. That's positive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, hey. no, it's just so much fun. Like, it, both him and Brad Bird, like, clearly have a fucking huge chip on their shoulders and something oh, yeah. to prove. Uh, and they fucking prove it. They made one of the most entertaining action movies wow. of the past, like, 
15 years. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it, and the team starts to come together. Great. Paula Patton's Paula awesome. Patton. She's fucking great. She, the, her fight scene with Leia Seydoux. Incredible. Uh, the opening of the movie. Incredible. And Michael Cicchino's score. Oh, so good. Light the fuse. So good. So, uh, yeah, this is a heavy recommendation yeah. on Mission Impossible Ghost and Protocol. Benji is now a field agent. Yep, you so got the Simon team, Pegg the team's out in the coming field. together. You get uh, Jeremy Renfield. Uh, Renner, okay. sorry. Uh, he's, you know, I don't love him, but I, I kind of enjoy that. I think he's good in the Mission you know, Impossible he is good. movies. That's the thing. He's good. But what I, what I kind of like about it, if you recall, uh, the climate kind of in which this came out is you're right. Tom Cruise was having a little bit of a PR issue. And so, Jeremy Renner was having a huge moment. He had been nominated for an Oscar back-to-back back right? years. Uh, yeah, the he, Hurt Locker and also Locker. the town. That's right. So Jeremy Renner was hot Was hot business. And basically, uh, he was coming in to perhaps save the franchise. Yeah, this and, was also when he was being so, positioned at the front of the Bourne franchise. Yes, which is so entertaining to watch in hindsight, knowing how... Tom Cruise was never going to allow that to happen. Yeah, well, when Brad Bird came in, his first note on the script was, you're trying to write Tom Cruise. Your problem with your script is that you're trying to write Tom Cruise out of Mission Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, he's the, well, I don't want to say it because it pops up in the next, well, we've already said it. He's a living manifestation of destiny. That's, Just you're like, goddamn right. Like, you're so goddamn fucking right. Uh, yeah. So, my gym has been playing these movies. That's uh, great. <laughs> back to back days. There's some channel that's doing a marathon <sighs> of them. And uh, my excitement is peaking. Yeah, no, I actually got chills in Jamba Juice today when, like, the trailer voice came over is saying, critics are saying, this is the movie event of the summer. And I was like, I know what that is. I know what it is. (laughs) I'm feeling it. Uh, Alexis, you've gone quiet. Alexis has uh, yeah, left the building. Yeah, I think I was building. huffing paint. I blacked out for a second. Oh, my uh, God. Alexis, watch Ghost Protocol. Watch. You'll like it. It's yeah. a, Honestly, it's a okay, good... Okay, so here's my question. Do I have to watch two and three in order to get to Ghost Protocol? No. No, no. you don't. Like, you know... I feel like, I I feel like Ghost, I'm going to lose momentum. It I takes think up so Ghost much of Protocol, my time. I think Ghost Protocol is a good on-ramp to the series. Yes. Like, okay. Ultimately, the continuity doesn't matter that much. No, but I will say, though, in terms of Ethan Hunt's love story that does kind of have a emotional impact a on little. fourth. Unfortunately, it means watch, watching like, the third one. Can I just watch one of those one. YouTube, like... Yeah, yeah. you can... You you're fine. Yeah, you're you're fine. They, like, yeah, explain everything. What's your... What's your... See, I think I can actually get my sister to watch Ghost Protocol if I just tell her we're skipping two and three. Yeah, which are the lows of the franchise, they in are, my opinion. But also, I want to fucking say it again in case you missed the last couple of episodes... Mission Impossible 2 is better than Mission Impossible 3. Easy, not a contest. That's not for you, Alexis. We know you agree with that. There's a lot of people out there who are like, 2 is the worst one in the franchise. And I'm like, it's not, no, it's not even close. It's not even close. 3 is the only one that I, like, don't enjoy that much. Yeah, it's boring. It's the only boring one. Dull. Yeah. Mm. Um, It's tragic. It is tragic. Yes. Thank you. It is because, like, if you, yes, assuming Conan, that it yes. was probably meant to be like just a trilogy, you know, maybe then you should have finished strong with the third one, you know. Yeah, JJ yeah. Abrams sound familiar <laughs> with woofing a fucking trilogy mm. and not finishing strong. JJ <laughs> Abrams. I have a side note on Rise of the Sky. Uh, Skywalker. Rise of the Sky. Rise of the Sky. What's your What's your side note? <laughs> Okay, so you know how, like, in the very first half of the movie, um, 
uh, Kylo Ren is like wearing the mask like most of the time. Um, yeah. Anyways, so I guess like even up to like three weeks before the movie was coming out, they were ADRing like his lines from the first half of the movie. And they were like, oh, the only reason why we even got to do that is because he had the mask. So we were able to, to like rewrite some of that stuff and like tweak, tweak things. But yeah, so we were I able to like, make the movie less worse. Thank God. Yeah, can mask. you imagine? Can you imagine like what would have happened if they hadn't like had him like in that mass and they just wouldn't weren't able to fucking like even change anything? Like imagine how much worse it could have been. But also the fact that they have him in the mask is emblematic of why that movie sucks shit. Because uh, you know he smashes the mask in the next mo- in the last movie. He's yeah. starting to become his own man. Yeah, it's and then such he's, a, yeah. Oh, I can't get it's into such I can't a drawback do it. to his yeah. character. I don't even get what the fuck was going on. I love I can't I can't get mad about this all over again. I I, 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 I can't let Star Wars keep hurting me. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Do we have anything else? <laughs> uh I mean fuck it, I'll mention it. I saw Demolition Man. <laughs> How was that? It was alright. All right. It's like an anti-fascist movie, and I love anti-fascism, but it's also kind of weirdly fascist at the end because it's like pro-cop, but anti-fascist, it's like you got to pick one. Yeah, you can't be you both. Pick a lane. You cannot yeah. be both. And yes, it does help that Sylvester Stallone, uh, who plays like Detective Spartan. John Spartan. John Spartan. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, if you do want to watch perhaps the most hilarious sex scene that I think I've ever seen, watch Demolition Man. Uh, because <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock go at it, but in a very futuristic way. Ugh. So it's not it's not what you're thinking. I, you're all grimacing for good reason, but it, it's not that. Um, but it's still hilarious. And also, Wesley Snipes is, th- you know, it's great to have a Wesley Snipes versus Sylvester Stallone, but man, they waste him. Man. His character's bad. Can't waste he, Wesley Snipes. No, he does, He, I mean, he does a good job. He's doing it as much as he can, but like, it's like, why are you here? Sad. Why are you here? Sad. It is sad. Well, yeah. Alexis, anything else? Alexis, you, you look upset. Anything? Are you upset? You're picturing I'm that sex upset. scene. I yeah. You know, actually, I, side note, I don't love most sex scenes. They make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh. That makes one of one us. Of us. One yeah, of us. That's me. One of us. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> wait. I did watch. I did watch Finding Nemo this week. Oh, there we go. And we're done. <laughs> okay. Don't acknowledge. Don't acknowledge. You Let's know get- what? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, Shit. hey, hey. Uh, Finding Nemo has a great score by the uh, Thomas Newman, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Thomas I haven't Newman. seen Finding Nemo since it came out. Really? Yeah. What? My name's Bruce. All right. We don't need to. I acknowledge. I'm sorry, Zach. I acknowledge. We don't need to do that. We don't need to. Yeah. Now you're now you're in her world. She's brought you. She's brought you into the ocean. I'm in an underwater cartoon. She suckered you in with the sea. I don't even understand what's so bad about watching Finding Nemo. It's not the worst Disney Pixar movie to ever come out, right? Is it? What? I don't know. Maybe not. What's your? (laughs) 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 This is definitely not the first time we've done Finding Nemo talk on this podcast. It's yeah. not because I remember distinctly last time I quoted from the movie. You guys put me down too because I did the whole thing where the little girl, squid girl is like, "Oh, you guys made me ink," oh. and you guys were like, "Ooh, this, and I was just oh. like, "It's a, she's a child." Oh, that reminds me. Speaking of Finding Nemo, my fish died. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you're laughing. It's not very funny. 
My poor little fish finally is up in fishy heaven. I guess down in fishy heaven. Uh, that's a, Weren't now, folks, you just talking like a, a segue few episodes right ago about how crazy it was that your fish was still alive? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> listeners, if our, our avid listeners are being rewarded. Um, <laughs> if I, you pay attention to the continuity yeah, of our if, podcast. Yeah. I, uh, he, he, he's no longer with us, which is really sad because um, I don't have a fish to feed. Which is also kind of nice, though. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I do miss him. You know, it's the fucking fish, though. So you know, what are you gonna do? It doesn't miss you. To be, to be, no, be honest, you've never really like truly been like, oh my god, my fish! I'm so happy to see you. Well, like, yeah, that's it's not a your fish. Yeah. Every yeah, time no. you come home, yeah. This is. I, so I mean, can I'm, I'm sure. Say, I'm sure there are some people that are like that, but they're weird. Can I say my thing about fish, which kind of ties into <laughs> Finding Nemo, which is that you'll take it okay. with some uh, malt vinegar and a side of tartar sauce? Well, most definitely, but also. I find a fish weird because it's like like a pet that's also like a decoration yes. and also like your prisoner. Yes, the, the, uh, it's, it, it gives me it's power. A, it's a weird dynamic. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I don't trust fish. It's people. really making me think about Finding Nemo and the fish that are in the fucking dentist's office. Exactly. And how yeah. they're literally just plotting to leave. Yeah, yeah. they're prisoners. They're they are trapped. prisoners. They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was at my mercy for years. Yeah. And he finally escaped into that big fishbowl Do you think he, like, there's this one character in Finding Nemo in the tank where, like, every time the fucking, like, uh, chest opens. See, now Zach is hating this. I'm not necessarily hating it. I'm not acknowledging. I'm not acknowledging. You've acknowledged so hard. I will not acknowledge. Why are you even fronting? You've seen this movie recently. I don't own it on DVD recently. Why? Why would you insinuate that? Maybe uh, you know what? Yeah. I'll rewatch Finding Why? Nemo. I, I guess just said I'll my rewatch fi- it. All I said was my fish passed away, and now we're all riffing. That's not cool. talking about being trapped. What about being trapped by the patriarchy and heteronormativity? Because That's I feel right. like that ties into the Finding movies Nemo? we're going to talk about. Hell yeah! Let's let's get yes. going. Let's let's hop out. Of, let's keep this train moving, and let's hop out of what's going choo on. Choo choo. Alexis so aptly transitioned it was us eloquent. into eloquent and sumptuous. We are coming to an end of Queer Cinema Month. Oh. Pride Month. Uh. When you are listening to this, this will be the last day of Pride Month. That's right. So it's nice that we got to sneak yeah. in one extra episode for you. This That's is a right. five movie. Technically, it's a six it's movie. Technically, month. A six movie month. Yeah, this is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we are uh, we are into here. our we are into our last big topic of Pride Month. That's right. Uh, way to celebrate Pride by listening to us, which is I yeah. think pay what attention you should do. To, yeah, you should pay attention to us more. Yes. Uh, and our final big topic, as uh, suggested by me, oh. is uh, films that have uh, real historical events or context in the background. So. But fictional the, but the, fictional right, stories. Right. That's the caveat. Fictional stories. So these, these are not based on a true story films. It's right. a fictional story that in some way incorporates historical fact. And the, the list is long. The list is very long. It sure Indeed. is. Yeah. 
Roma. Roma. Yeah, another Alfonso Cuarón movie. Oh, I was going to mention that movie. I loved that movie when it came out. I uh, love that movie. I still haven't seen Roma. It's so good. Uh, yeah, it's so I have not seen Roma. No, and now I really want to. Yeah. Uh, so you really what? Do. What do you? What do you guys it. like about Roma? Uh, it's good. All right. It's a good movie. No, it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much more to add other than it's damn good. What's uh, how does it how does it use historical fact? Well, it takes place during uh, protests. Uh, is it the same protests as, as uh, the movie we're talking about, Alexis? No, it's not. It's a different. Is it? No. I don't know. It's some sort well, of protest this, happening uh, happening, and then it was also a massive earthquake. This movie is set yeah. roughly in like ninety nine. Oh, uh, so then this is different because this I think took, I think Roma takes place in the seventies. I believe so because Roma's yeah. kind of uh, there's there's literally like a massacre that happens. Mitchy, sorry, there is a massacre that happens in the <laughs> That's movie, her mom and voice. it is actually it's and <laughs> Mitchy, it is went in. <laughs> She was just, she was complaining. I, I, I was like, please stop. I have things to do. Yeah, she doesn't um, need to be I, That is exactly shit. what a mom would say, too. That's so tragic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, if you give me a minute, I can figure it out. But another one that I wanted to spout off really quick is Pan's Labyrinth, because that Pan's takes La- place yeah, during uh, Franco's Spain during the rebellion that was happening during that's that. That's another right good World fucking choice. I love that. Fight movie. fascism. Yeah, that's a good anti-fascist picture. Hell that yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, you said Finding Nemo was fascist I earlier. I flip sometimes. God, Keep you're flip flopping like Keep you're dead Why ass is fish. Finding Nemo fascist? I, I don't so know. He's not either. I'll give you that one. <laughs> yeah, that was a good. That was yeah. a good one. Um, I uh, speaking of uh, World War II, I gotta give a shout out to Atonement. That's a damn good movie set during a big historical event. Specifically, you would get Dunkirk in there. Ooh, Which interesting. I will go on record and say that they did Dunkirk better in Atonement than they did in the movie Dunkirk. Whoa, big claim. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've definitely said that on here before. Have so, I? you know, he feels, yes. I did? Yes. Well, I love agreeing with myself. That means in it, that way I, I don't flip do. flop. Yeah, that's a, it's, that's it's a, a really very, good. It's a very meta theme. That's a very good movie. Watch it. You will, you will cry. That's not a threat. That's just like, that's just a warning because that movie, oh, it tears you up. It's got sour shoes rolling in it. It is so, 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 so sad. Um, James McAvoy is in there. Yeah. Keira Knightley. Yeah. Keira Knightley in the iconic green dress. Okay. You know, sometimes I'll tell people about Atonement and they'll be like, is that the green dress movie? And I'm like, yes, it is. They don't remember it. They didn't see it, but they remember the green dress. You, su- you should watch it, Zach. It's on our shelf. Okay. Also, um, I got to give a shout out to our usual guest for his uh, revisionist trilogy. Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, I'm just so glad that you guys brought that up. Hey, guys, it's me, Quentin Tarantino. How you doing, Quentin? It's, I'm doing so good. I haven't been on a pod for a while. I've been busy. I've been writing my new movie, The Movie Critic. You guys are going to love it. I can't go crazy for it. Now, see, the thing that I found really, really groovy, particularly about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but also you're going to notice Diane Kruger at the end of Inglorious Bastards, it's in those films, I really got to capture a lot of feet of feet. I I, I mean, I got I to gotta show you a lot, a lot of films of feet. I mean, I got to film a lot of feet. I mean, I fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. All right. And that's all the time that we have for Quentin Tarantino. Quentin, thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, it is always a insightful uh, uh, interaction. We always love it. Of course, guys, love the toast. I mean, shell, fuck. Thank you. See you later, Quentin. So, yeah, those are real. As he said, uh, I was going to bring up Inglorious Bastards. Those, I'm, I'm those glad, three. I'm glad you and Quentin got to it. I, yeah. I actually watched Inglorious Bastards very recently. 
I, I did I mention that I saw that at the Beverly? Uh, no, I think you I might did. have. Yeah, it's so good. There. Uh, yeah, no, I I love that movie. Uh, again, set during uh, World War II, obviously, yep. real historical. Once event. upon a time in Nazi-occupied France. But uh, you get to watch Adolf Hitler get fucking machine gunned in the face. Yeah, and what's better than that? See, what I love about his I trilogy is like he's basically he's like, oh, you rewrite history. He's like, I'm just basically I'm I'm correcting history. Yeah, I'm writing it how it should have fucking went. Yeah, and I completely agree. It's very uh, satisfying. Also, um, with uh, I mean, Django Unchained's so good. Yes. I feel like people fucking sleep on that movie. It is so, so, so good. No, Django Unchained does rule. One of the best, I think it has the best ending of any of its films, which is saying something, because mm. Glorious Bastards has still, one hell of an ending. still gotta be Glorious Bastards. But uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with uh, Sharon Tate and the Manson murders, um, now, that's a, now that captures a, 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 a kind of a cultural shift, really, going on there. Yeah. Uh, super, mm-hmm. super good movie. So that's those are three. Anyone else want to take it away? Uh... I have a superhero movie to bring up. What? Yeah. What X-Men is it? First Class. Wow. X-Men First Class incorporates uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis that's right. at the end of it. And that's true. for my money, that's the best X-Men movie. I, I, I agree. I really you. love that movie. It's the only one I own. Uh, I think Fassbender is so fucking good in that movie. He has that beautiful, like, navy blue turtleneck with the, 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 the leather, the brown leather jacket. He looks so yeah, yeah he's looking like James Bond. Which, I mean, also, literally, they costume him like James Bond. He, I, can I just say that, that the, there's one scene in that movie, speaking of the Glorious Bastards, that seems like it's ripped straight out of it. It's when Michael Fassbender... It is this chord. All right. Uh, when Michael Fassbender <laughs> visits those uh, Nazis that are hiding in Argentina... And he takes, because he's Magneto, and he yeah, takes, he takes the, the knife. Co- yeah, the knife. The Hitler knife. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, now, that's a badass scene. Well, there was there were plans to do, like, a Magneto Nazi hunting movie. Which, I, which can, there are not enough Nazi hunting films, by the way. Should be more. Should be more. That, that should be a franchise, like a James Bond-type character. <laughs> yeah. Like, shit, you could base that Just, on Christopher Lee or some I shit. I mean, we do kind of have it. With in hunters, Indiana Jones. Oh, Indiana Jones. Yes, yeah. I mean that's true. But he's not—he's not hunting Nazis. Nazis after that's the not war, his mission. Which, yeah, yeah. I would like to see more. I would. Li- I think that's a franchise waiting to happen. Um, Alexis, do you do you have any others? Yeah. So I mean, I think we, we already covered Spotlight, so I don't even need to talk about that. Well, that's based on a true. Um, story. That's a based on a true story. Doesn't count. Oh, it's based on true. That doesn't count. That's why yeah. I was going to say a taxi okay. driver. You're, you're going to say a taxi driver? That's, yeah, based, that's, on that, that's based on a true story, so it doesn't work. That's based on a true story. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Which is why I didn't say it on the podcast. Grave of the Fireflies. I feel like that counts. It's an animated movie from Studio Ghibli, but it's not from uh, Miyazaki. It's right. from Misao Takahata. I haven't seen that. Um, but it it is a fictional story about a pair of siblings who um, basically have to survive in Japan after they are orphaned um, because... You know, like there was bombing and a lot of the houses were um, wooden houses. So a lot of times, like once one caught on fire, the whole town would catch on fire. A lot of people got really bad burns and and infections and died because of that. And that's how... um, uh, you know, one of their parents dies, they're orphaned, and they basically just have to survive on the streets. Um, so mm. I think that that counts. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, that totally counts. Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go I, ahead. I mean, I haven't seen this movie, but there is only one reason why I am at all familiar with the Robert Pattinson romantic drama Remember Me. 
I haven't oh, seen that. Oh, I loved that movie when it came out. I saw it in theaters. You know why I'm bringing it up, right, Alexis? Why? Because it has a 9-11 twist ending. What? I do know that. I do know that. I remember I was devastated. Wow. Devastated by that. Really? It has a 9-11 ending? Yeah, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where you see, like, Robert Pattinson's character, like, standing, looking out a window, and then it widens out. And it widens out. Is he in the World Trade Center? he's in the World Trade Center on like September a, do you, 11th. Do you see a reflection of a plane, like, coming in? And I think that, like, he even, like, says something very loving to her. Like, they they have, like, this really good moment. And then, you know, he just fucking dies. Yeah, I'm like, how could you let him go out like yeah, that? He gets, he gets surprise 9-11. Yeah. Listeners, please do not take this the wrong way. We have nothing but love in our heart, but that is hilarious. That's crazy. That's hilarious. That's crazy. If I was watching a movie and, like, suddenly it's revealed that it's 9-11, like, you can't do that. Right. You can't do it. But also, every movie should do it now. They should do it. It's, yeah, bananas. Bananas choice. Wow. Uh, and, again, the wow. only reason that I know I can see why about the movie Remember yeah. Me. <laughs> is that it features a 9-11 twist Who, Who's ending. in it with Robert Pattinson? I don't know. Oh, Alexis, Alexis you've, actually, you've actually seen this I movie. Haven't, I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, but I haven't seen it since it came out in, what, 2011 or That's 12? That's the other crazy part. <laughs> the 10-year anniversary. Or not anniversary. Is that like, anniversary? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I don't know what you call, yeah. like, 10 years anniversary since a tragedy. sounds like... Yeah. Hey, happy anniversary, but that's not, it's not that. No, it's not that. but still, like... It's crazy Horrendous. that, like, like, I would be shocked if a movie did that now. And we are yeah. 22 years out from 9-11. Yeah. Remember Me came out, yeah. like, 10 years later. <laughs> so. How should, how should this movie end? You know, you know what we should do. You know do. what we could do? No. <laughs> what? Wow. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's just, that's a bizarre example of a fictional story incorporating real historical fact. Jesus. It would be like wow. if, like, Titanic buried the lead that it was on the, the Titanic, Titanic yeah. except the movie yeah. came out 10 years after the Titanic sank. Doesn't Saving Private Ryan kind of count, yeah, too, definitely. then? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many yeah. World War II movies. Saving Private Ryan, that's so a great many. one. Yeah, so good many. Bit. I'm like, I could, every World War II movie I've ever watched pretty that's like a romantic movie could pretty much. <laughs> I, I, Ipmon. I mean, he's, now that's a true, uh, no, hold on, hold on. It's based no, on a true story. It's based on a true character, but the story of him like rising up and ha having one-on-one -on -one with a Japanese, that's no, all fictional. No, that happened. It's fictional. No, it happened. It's fictional, Don't Zach. ruin, don't <laughs> ruin this for me. Okay, Ipmon fine. happened I'm sorry, exactly how exactly, it, it was shown. It is shot for shot history. And he fought the Mike movie, Tyson. Oh my God. Okay, the movie that I watched, The Dreamers, also counts because it is a fictional story set against the 1968 student riots in France, in Paris. Okay. So, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was Le, really on task. <laughs> Les Mis? Oh, right. Les, oh, yeah. Les Mis. Les Mis. Yeah. That's set against the backdrop of the French Revolution, but uh, tells a fictional story. Wow. So, yeah. How about that? That's great. Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof is another one. Cabaret. Gladiator. That's one. There, it is. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius yeah. is a real yeah. emperor. You know? Uh, did we did we say the favorite? No, we didn't, but no, good, we pick. Did not. good pick. Good yeah, pick. Yeah, because like technically it's a fictionalized story of yeah. Queen Anne, but all those wars that her the the late what fuck Rachel Weiss's character, Lady Marlborough, mm -hmm. her husband is doing, they're all true. There yeah. we go. 
One of my personal favorites, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. That's a great one. Nice. Cool. Well, yeah. There we I go. mean, th- there's so many movies that are set to the There's so of many of events. them. Well, do we want about it. do we want to talk about two other ones? I think we sh- I think we should I, only talk about two more. Only two more. I make I, it three. I, I have to give you the I have to give you the stuff behind Roma. Okay, please. Oh yes, yeah. yes. This will be a great transition. This is point. good. Okay, so uh, basically, and this does actually tie in really, really well to one of our movies, is that um, for a really long time, uh, the P- the PRI, uh, like, would you call that like a, whoo, uh, like a the, political group? Yeah, the Institutional Revolutionary Party. Yeah, so they were in power for a really long time, from like the like nineteen twenties until um, the nineteen nineties. Yes, this is and, in Mexico. Um, yeah, and they they stayed that way by like you know doing like election fraud and like all sorts of like other like bullshit, and people were like really pissed about it, obviously. And so in the seventies, this kind of like came to a head because there was and there was like student protests, which are in the film Roma. But one of the things that uh, happens in Roma is this uh, massacre in one of the areas. It's called Three Cultures Square in Mexico City, and I'm going to fuck this up. Um, Tlatloco housing complex. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. Um, and so that's the massacre that I was talking about earlier, um, where a bunch of people fucking died. Which um, is what they were protesting in the backdrop of Roma. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then yeah. again, also that massive earthquake that was awful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unlike those really nice earthquakes, because those don't exist. All right. Well, I'm glad we've brought up Roma. <laughs> Me too. Because Roma was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, yes. And do you know what else was directed what by else? Mr. Cuaron? What did he do? Y tu mama también. That's right. A 2001 film that he made starring Diego Luna Woo. and Gael Garcia Bernal Woo. and Maribel Verdu. Ooh. And... Uh, that other guy. Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry. I'm confused because I'm looking at the uh, the pictures are wrong, right? The pictures yeah, and the no, pictures I, I are wrong on too. Google. Uh, but we are not just talking about Itu Mama Tam. <laughs> no, 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 no. We are also talking about My Own Private Idaho. What? Which is a 1991 film directed by Gus Van Sant and starring River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves. Classic. And you might be wondering. What's the connection between these two films, Zach? Why did you select these for your episode? And more importantly, who suggested them? Gee whiz, I sure am confused. Well, I'm so glad you asked. I selected these two films because they are both queer road trip movies. Ah. One of them, My Own Private Idaho, was suggested by Edwin, my brother. Woo! And the other one, Itu Mama Tambien, was suggested by my friend Salvador. So thank you both of you. And thank to you, everyone Salvador. else who recommended a queer cinema pick to me, thank you so much. You're welcome, you, Jack. All right. Well, not you. You suggested Mission Impossible. I did. Uh, every, every time he asked, I was always submitting Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, it was really helpful. I'm a little disappointed. Um, but yeah, thank you, everyone, for your suggestions. Uh, you had great picks. The reason I picked these two is because of the, uh, you know, sort of narrative connection. I thought it was fun. And also helps that they're pretty damn good movies. They are both damn good movies. Yeah. What would we like to talk about first? Uh, Why don't we... Well, I was actually surprised at how much connected these films 
right? So, yeah, because, like, I was talking to my sister about this earlier today, how many (laughs) things, like, kind of were exactly (laughs) the same in the movies in many ways. Um, Don't mind me just patting myself on the back. I'm glad you said that. Why don't we cover My Own Private Idaho first? All right, let's do it. Good choice. So, My Own Private Idaho uh, is, uh, as I said, directed by Gus Van Sant, and uh, here's the description. In this loose adaptation of Shakespeare's Henry IV, Mike Waters, uh, River Phoenix, is a gay hustler afflicted with narcolepsy. Scott Favor, Keanu Reeves, is the rebellious son of a mayor. Together, the two travel from Portland, Oregon to Idaho, and finally to the coast of Italy in a quest to find Mike's estranged mother. Along the way, they turn tricks for money and drugs, eventually attracting the attention of a wealthy benefactor and sexual deviant. Now... This is kind of a hard movie to summarize. It's very hard. Um, mm-hmm. And part of it is that this uh, this movie, this screenplay, was actually an amalgamation of a few mm-hmm. different screenplays that Gus Van Sant had cooking. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, he had a modern adaptation of Henry IV. Right. He had a short story that he wrote, uh, and he had a screenplay that was about right. uh, gay street hustlers. Right. And um, it should be said, this does not take place during a historical event, but it's based, based on... Based on Henry IV, which right. is in turn based on, you know, the life of Henry IV. Which is so, history. Yeah. It's, you so know, that's maybe how, it's it, a bit of a stretch, it but fuck it, it was a fun topic. You made up the topic, it works. Yeah. Um, so, I had never seen my own private Idaho before. Alexis, what was your relationship to this movie? Had you seen it before? Uh, actually, I think both me and Mick watched it for the first time last year. That's gotcha. Correct. Um, in like November, December, I think. I think maybe December. Yeah. All right. Um, well, Alexis, let's start with you. What do you think of the movie? Uh, the first time I watched it, I definitely like, I liked it, but I think it, it was hampered by the fact that Mick didn't like it. That's not so, true. That's not true. Because my take, you, you, when you get to my take, you'll, you'll know why that, that's false history. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yes. Well, I liked it, so that's, that's my history with it. And, and on your rewatch. Oh, on my rewatch, uh, I feel like I, I appreciated the cinematography like even more. I don't know if I paid as much attention to it. And I really, really, really loved River Phoenix's uh, performance throughout. So, so fucking yeah, good. It. Yeah. So the reason I say that's false history is because I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed the adventure and also the really wacky characters that we meet along the way. On a rewatch, I enjoyed it less because, I mean, to me, this movie just kind of meanders along. There's no, like, real plot. It's definitely just story, and that's fine. I'm going to use the term. I'm going to use the term. What? It's a tone poem. It is a tone poem. It is a tone It is absolutely a tone poem. poem. And so since I knew what was going to happen or what was not ever going to happen already, seeing it on a rewatch, I was just kind of, yeah, I was a bit more caught up in it. But I was like, okay, well, I know where this is going. And I think not knowing where the movie was going at all made it a better experience. So it's still a, a really good movie with some terrific performances in it. It's a very peculiar movie. But, yeah, I, I did not enjoy it as much on a rewatch. Interesting. So mm-hmm. I had never seen this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
after having like sat with it for a couple of days, I find it to be like a pretty interesting movie about America. Yeah. I don't, you know, I would also say that I probably like this the least out of the two movies that we watched, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's a really interesting story about you know how differently two people can experience the same thing if one person has means and one person doesn't. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Scott and Mike are, you know, nominally living the same life. You know, they're yeah. both street hustlers, but... One is a Scott, choice. Yeah, Scott is doing this isn't. as a as a form of rebellion, much like Prince yeah. Hal in Henry IV. Exactly. Um, he's, you know striking out on his own and, you know, knows that at a certain point he's going to go back to a life of wealth and privilege. And Mike is trapped in this. And the stakes are just, like, so much higher emotionally for him because, like, not only is he economically trapped in this life, but he's, you know, partially in this life one might assume, you know, because he is a gay youth who's been rejected by his family. Yeah. And Scott is not gay. No. Like, Scott is Scott is having sex with men for money. Right. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought it was an interesting movie that had a lot to say about how class and sexuality intersect. I thought it looked beautiful, but it, it was a little slow. I will agree. Yeah. Um, the Rome stuff is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't remember who shot this movie, but it's very, very beautiful. Um, yeah. I think actually my favorite shots were all the ones that were in Idaho. I don't know why, but just that open country landscape out there was just, I don't know what, what however they color graded it. And then the, the they must have done like some sort of like a time lapse for the clouds. It was really beautiful. And yeah. I, just, I, I don't know. I just really liked watching it. Yeah, and it's also um, kind of, like, you know, representative of, like, Mike's interiority. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, that is, in some ways, the, you know, the inside of his mind. Because you, you get that later when he, uh, when he's being, uh, to, to, to be a little crass, when he's being blown in the hotel room at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. When he comes, yeah, there is a the pretty barn. funny shot of an empty barn crashing onto the road. That's mm-hmm. how the movie opens, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It is interesting that, like, the narcolepsy is there. It's a, it's a very interesting plot device to use for yeah. a hustler because you already live a life of, of being somebody who's very, like, vulnerable because, you know, you're in basically in danger every time that you get into somebody's car, potentially. Yeah. Um, but then you add this layer of vulnerability of like, oh, I could just fall asleep wherever and people could do whatever they wanted to me. Like there's, there's this added layer of vulnerability to him. Um, so I thought that was an interesting plot device. I, I, I don't know if it has real true purpose, but, you know, it gives him an extra that, layer of vulnerability. As I a character. still think it's hilarious when he when River Phoenix is running away from the cop in Idaho and you just see him like fleeing. He's like, oh, it's his problem. Oh, I guess he doesn't like cops. 
and then it just cuts to him passed out in the <laughs> desert. It's the one, it's the one narcolepsy yeah. episode he has where it gets me to laugh out loud at that. Well, it's it's also like a good, you know, way to increase the you know contrast between him and Scott. Yeah, because you know Scott is someone who has all of the agency and can yeah. make you know all of the choices he wants in his life, and Mike yeah. is completely well, vulnerable, and and you see that in the way that they you know, interact with the people they care about because, like, Scott is able to completely close himself off to everyone at the end of the movie, even if he cares about them, which, again, very Henry IV. Yeah. Uh, He's all... I mean, he's also just so charismatic that, I mean, let's be honest, my favorite character, Bob, uh, there are a few instances where Scott basically calls into question his authority and everyone's kind of with him. Yeah. You know, and, and and he is that outgoing sort of person like that, that can that just sort of kind of commands the room. It, it makes the scene where Mike confesses that he loves Scott at the campfire. Yeah. All the more heartbreaking. Yeah. Because Mike has so much to lose. And I know the story that you're going to tell. Go for it. Okay, Um, so originally when Gus Van Sant wrote this script, he had Mike as somebody who was more asexual. And so the campfire scene uh, basically did not exist. It was really just like... um, there's no meat to it basically but river phoenix was like i don't really agree with that like i think that he's like in love with scott and so he basically like rewrote the scene so the campfire scene as we know it wouldn't be the campfire scene if river phoenix hadn't been that character yeah um so doubly tragic because obviously river phoenix died really young and he was a really promising actor but that shows me that he could have been a very promising writer as well um which Mm, is something that I heard and agreed with on the podcast, the next picture show, which I listened to in preparation for this. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It, it makes me think about, uh, Matt Damon told this story about working on the departed, uh, where Jack Nicholson went up to him one day and he was like, you know how I've had such a long career as an actor. I'm a damn good writer. Right. And Matt Damon was like, Oh, well that makes total sense. You know, to be, a great actor, you have to be able to recognize a great script. So, yeah. of course, you're a fucking great writer. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah, that that speaks to what a fucking talent we lost in River Phoenix. I also yeah. learning doing some research on this movie. Him and Keanu Reeves' friendship is very sweet. It makes it me is, very sad. Yeah. Um, I know. So there's two versions of how both of them ended up in this movie that I've heard. Mm-hmm. One is that uh, both of their agents got the script for this movie. Keanu's agent passed it along to him. Keanu, and they're both kind of teen heartthrobs at this point. The Bill yeah. and Ted had come out and Point Break was the year before this. Um, mm-hmm. So Keanu's agent gives it to Keanu. Keanu's like, oh, this is this is interesting. This is great. And uh, River Phoenix's agent doesn't give it to him. He's like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. My client is not doing this because, you know, being in a queer yeah, movie a big was departure. fucking risky yeah. at that time, mm-hmm. especially if, yeah. you know, you're a guy. Um, so Gus Van Sant had told Keanu Reeves that he wanted River Phoenix in this movie and was like, hey, could you talk to him? So... Keanu Reeves takes the script 
and at Christmas time, motorcycles from Canada to Florida, where where uh, uh, River Phoenix lives, to bring oh in the script himself. That is one version of this that I've heard. Mm-hmm. The other version of this, which I think <laughs> I may be inclined to believe more, because I, I think that uh, River Phoenix mentioned this in an interview. Uh, the two of them were doing a movie before this, and they both <laughs> got the My Own Private Idaho script. And they were both like, okay, this is really interesting, but this seems like, you know, a big departure, a huge risk. If I do this, you got to do it with me. Mm. So they made yeah. a pact that, you know, if one of them does it, the other one has to do it. And if the other one doesn't, neither of them do it. Uh, mm. Which I think is very sweet. I think that's a lovely yeah. friend moment. You um, can tell they have great chemistry. Yeah. On yeah. screen. Can we, can we talk about Keanu a little bit? Yes. Because we, sure. we, we, we talked about River Phoenix and how fucking wonderful he is in this movie. Keanu Reeves does not get enough fucking credit for what a great actor he is and what risks he, he took. Yeah. And, you know, genuinely the kind of range that he has. I think he yeah. is fucking fantastic I, in this movie. You still hear to this day people talking about how, like, oh, I love Keanu Reeves, but, you know, he's not a he's not a good actor. And you know, I'm going to admit myself, I even will go back and forth sometimes on that when I watch performances from him. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, but I would put Keanu Reeves up there with Nicolas Cage in terms of his acting style is not like conventional. What we typically think of like, of like, oh, it's so authentic. It's so real. Oh, my God. He's so in that. But he's he's speaking to the emotional truth. A hundred and ten percent with every role he does. I think they're very similar in that sense. Yeah. They're, they're they're different performances. They're not bad performances because that you one hundred percent buy that he's feeling whatever is emotion that he's emoting on screen. Um, and also, they both have the charisma as well. I mean, Kelsey, Kelsey so Reeves is yeah, fantastic. W- watching this, yeah. I was reminded of something that my mom used to say when I was growing up, which was like, "Oh, Keanu Reeves is such a terrible actor." Because right. I saw him in, uh, I think, the Vancouver Shakespeare Festival. Mm. as mm-hmm. Hamlet and he was awful or may- maybe she didn't see him maybe it was just you know that was kind of the consensus and I was mm-hmm. sort of surprised at that because watching this I was like fuck he I would have pretty comfortable with Shakespeare texts I yeah. would have watched a version of Henry the fourth or Henry the fifth with Keanu Reeves playing that role because he really does nail he has yeah. both the like charisma kind of party boy energy that you need to play Prince Hal, which, you know, you see in stuff like fucking Bill and Ted or right. Point Break. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, but he also, like, <laughs> has that gravitas and, like, ability to command a room and, like, draw in yeah. and be authoritative that you see, like, in the Matrix sequels. Right. Or yeah. John Wick. Uh, that's why I love that scene with, uh, with Scott and Bob in the alleyway when he has his mm-hmm. back turned to Bob and he's basically saying everything he's planning on doing and everything that is happening in his life, it's all like, he, yeah, at one that point, he, that gonna, someday he will have to be king. Yes, exactly. And his, his aside where he's just staring off, I could 100% see him on a stage with just the spotlight coming down on him and he's just delivering this fantastic monologue. Yeah, and I would think he would yeah. be a good theater actor because he's so physical. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Keanu, Keanu Reeves brings such a like physicality to all of his roles. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think he's great. Yeah. I think people need to fucking, I mean, people have kind of eased off his I, back, but give him some credit. Yeah, I think the internet all agrees that, like, we love Keanu Reeves, but I don't ever remember thinking that I thought Keanu Reeves was, like, a terrible actor. Mm-hmm. I can't ever, I don't ever remember thinking do you, that. Do you consider yourself a Keanu Reeves fan? I mean, I don't necessarily, like, go out of my way to be watching his movies, but, like, all the things that I've seen him in, I always like him in them. Um, so I don't know because like I love speed I, I watched speed like a bunch as a kid because oh, we had it so on VHS you know so it's like I don't know See? and I you know I liked Bill and Ted's like excellent adventure and stuff and excellent excellent adventure. yeah <laughs> yeah uh, Bill and Ted's yeah, bogus I you, journey I think came out the year after this wow that's a sequel right <laughs> yeah. two totally different tones is George Carlin <laughs> yeah. in both of them yes oh, I think so good yeah I think he's in one and two Obviously, yeah, he's not. Uh, I love that part that you're talking about where he's in the alley where his back is turned and he's yeah. talking to Bob because it mirrors the final interaction between yep. him and Bob because it is he also is. Yeah, because he's also and it, it is interesting, like the the choice that they made in that final scene to have this uh, red light on half of Keanu Reeves's yeah. face as he essentially betrays Bob, you yeah. know? Yeah, um, I so love I was like, the oh, use I really of like a red that. light. So yeah, good. there was definitely a lot of like choices in the movie that I really like enjoyed that I think I paid attention to more this time yeah. since I had already like I already knew what the story was mm-hmm. and where it was going. So I was able to just kind of pay attention to the like the little intricacies. Right. Yeah, something that um oh, what is his name? Udo? Udo Kier? Udo Kier. So that was a big moment for me because when I first watched this with you, I had not worked with Udo Udo yet. And now, having mm-hmm. watched this, I have worked with him. And he plays mm-hmm. Hans Yeah, for the listeners. I have a fun little fact about his little dance that he does towards the oh, end. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, apparently oh, that was... Go- with, along with his music? Yes. Yeah. Apparently that oh. was like a cabaret act that Udo Kier used to do. Really? So he brought oh. that in. Wow. <laughs> I believe it. Because, folks, if you've watched this movie, Hans is exactly like that in real life. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. So one day on set, I'm I'm just it was like my third day like on the movie and Udo's there and he walks up and he has to get his jewelry taken off because he's wearing rings that aren't in line with the character. And, and he, he goes, Guten Tag. He goes, Ah oh, yeah, do you see this? Be very careful with this ring, please. Yeah, do you look at it? Wait, look what's imprinted on it. And you know, we all kinda like look in, he goes do you recognize that? And we go, no, well, what is that? Because it's kind of an old antique ring. And he goes, that is two wild boars fucking each other. <laughs> Shut the fuck this is, up. This is all hand my heart. This is true. <laughs> and we go, oh, wow. wow. He goes, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it is a very good conversation piece. Yeah, you would believe it. <laughs> I have gotten a lot of attention in the years with just this ring. I will bring it up. That is how I start conversations. Yeah, I love it. He, I love he's, a, he's a wacky character, and it was—it's so great because yeah, after watching him as Hans in this, I was like, "Wow, he's not acting. That's that's just how he is." That's just him. Oh my god! Yeah. Also, Zach, yeah. let's talk about what you brought up, which is this very David Lynchian 
type vibe yeah, to the so, movie. Mm-hmm. Especially the redheaded this, little Dutch boy guy. Yeah, this movie oh my God. <laughs> did in places remind me of uh, Wild at Heart, both in sort of like the sparseness of the landscape, leaning on like Americana imagery and all of like the fucking disgusting, sad, like, dead motels that we find ourselves in with characters who are, for lack of a better word, exhibiting high strangeness, just like... Yes. Behavior that they are feels... eccentric characters. Yeah, but not just like just eccentric feels eccentric It feels yes. unreal. Um, yeah. And yeah, one is Udo Kier performing his uh, little cabaret routine. That's hilarious. And the other wow. is the uh, guy who wants Mike to dress up like a little Dutch boy and clean his hotel room. Yeah, uh, who is just having having a grand he old loves time? The as friction. He does that. Yeah, he loves the friction. It's uh, very very surreal. Yeah. and upsetting. Yeah, can I? You know what? That's kind of touching on why I don't think I I super love this movie is because it just gives me a funky feeling, which is <laughs> it's which is a on bad purpose. Vibe. Yeah, it's just kind of a bad vibe. It, it's completely on purpose because that's kind of the story that it's exploring. But yeah, I, I think like. The the uh, the song "America the Beautiful" uh, on steel guitar yeah. over top the landscapes of Idaho bum me the fuck out. Uh, yeah, no, it's um, just the whole vibe. And Zach, what you mentioned, like the funky hotel rooms, these people that are like surviving, and it's just like oh, it's just a bummer, man. Like it, it gives yeah. me just a bad vibe. It is, and I think yeah. that's uh, and again, that's that's definitely part of the point of the picture. Um, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't like staying at hotels like that, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, it's I, like, I don't appreciate it's like, it. It's almost like you as the viewer feel unsafe because like, you know, that the characters are experiencing something that kind of feels like uncomfy. You yeah, know? yeah. You're, you're Which, locked and you're locked into Mike's perspective. Yeah. And Mike is a yeah. character who, yeah, has more or less no control over his own existence. Like, yeah. he just... Yeah, no agency He really he just, just wakes up for places. the ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that abusive yeah, and interaction he, he has with his dad. Yeah, and he, he doesn't even really have, um, like, an arc, no, per se. No, he's the like, exact same in the beginning of the movie as he is in the end. Yeah, he just doesn't have shoes. Yeah. Um, but but he, he is a character that we know is 100% himself, and I think that that's why, like, him exhibiting the, like, because he's, like, vulnerable physically with the whole narcolepsy thing. Like, it even, I think it further sells the fact that he's so vulnerable, which is, like, it undermines the masculinity that, like, Scott is kind of trying to, like, exude and that you know that he's going to, like, go back to, you know? Because, like, you know, capitalism is, you know, it's a fucking trickle down of the patriarchy in a lot of ways you know and scott just totally like buys into that shit at the end and and i love that the campfire scene just kind of like deconstructs that because scott says that like you know two men can't fall in love and fucking river phoenix is like actually no i actually think that i could fall in love because i i love you you yeah. know mm-hmm. and he's just like so 
he just so he he just says it so sincerely and so matter-of-factly and he's just so like it's not even like a confidence thing like he's clearly like not really like confident in saying it but he's just like that's just my truth and i gotta like speak it whereas like scott is so reserved like you never truly know what scott is really thinking like you always feel like he's got some little other plan going on in the background he's scheming he's a schemer he's a schemer like the concert tickets debacle that whole thing where he where he helps get the tickets and then immediately robs Bob in in the crew in their own little outfit, yeah. which is weird yeah. sequence, but super fun. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It does kind of set you up to think yeah. that this is going to be more skewer, of, though more of a fun movie yeah. than it is. Yeah. I do actually love the scene, like, right after that, where, like, Bob is telling the he's story of, like, how that went down. People. And he's like, oh, it started with two, and now we're at 11, you yeah. know? And I don't know. I just, I found that very comical. It was seven um, of them. Seven. Oh, seven. Eleven by my count. Yeah. yeah. That's got to be, like, a And he, a was, wearing a, he was wearing a green shirt, but da 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 and I couldn't yeah. even see in front of my hand. But Bob... How could you see it was green if you couldn't even see her hand? It's like, yeah. that shit was so funny. That Bill um, Shakespeare, also, what a writer. Right? Yeah. Also fucking, uh, when Scott is like, okay, I'll show up to my dad's place, and he shows up in, like, no shirt under his jean jacket and, like, a dog collar on. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. William <laughs> Richards. so hard. Got a, sh- got a shout that, out. Uh, that's the name of the guy who played Bob, William Richard, who apparently is an American film director. Uh, wow. Mm. He directed a bunch of shit. Okay. Wow. But yeah, no, that's my favorite fucking performance of this whole movie. He's, he's such a good voice. Sorry, Zach, what were you saying? Yeah. Well, I've also just got a shout out that this this movie uh, is kind of an Oregon film. And River Phoenix is an Oregon boy. And he's born William, in Madras. Yeah. William and, uh, Richard passed Gus- away in Portland last year. Well, weird. There you go. Oh. Gus Van Sant uh, went to went to college in Portland. That's right. Yeah. Crazy. Unless you uh, unless this is your first episode, Zach and I are Oregon boys. We are Oregon boys. We're Oregon boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One one other thing that I want to mention about the narcolepsy is that it allows us to, to have this movie's like kind of weird formal conceit, which is that mm-hmm. this is a road movie yeah. where you basically never see the travel yeah no it's yeah. a good that's it's crazy a good editing trick. that is yeah. fucking nuts yeah, yeah. you just get yeah. a title card a title card portland yeah. idaho portland roma. idaho roma seattle yeah <laughs> yeah like it's it's so wide it's yeah it throws you off balance uh yeah, yeah. no i uh maybe i should watch this movie again because the more i talk you, you about should. it the more i like it yeah yeah, uh, I, one of my favorite lines is when the cops come looking for Bob and they're like talking to Keanu and like I think Mike is under the covers with him. They were pretending like have sex and they're like they're like we're looking for a man. He's fat, a fat man, fat like butter. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why, but that and you can see that Bob is like listening and he's just like, well, yeah, for real. that's just called for. That's yeah. fucking rude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Something else I like about this film is that I think for our Pride Month, this is the first time we have a movie that covers male sex workers. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. that the whole diner sequence, restaurant confessional. Oh, my God. Yeah, montage, those are those are real stories, right? Yeah, those are re- not only mm-hmm. real stories, but those yeah. are like street kids. Telling so those they're stories. real street, street kids. kids. Yeah. yeah. OK, I totally buy it because that that. Yeah. 
feels like, and I guess it is in a way, dipping into documentary territory. Because when you watch it's a it, docudrama kind it's of just, way. it feels so real and it's like so sad. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, because again, well, that explains it's all, that it's yeah, real. It's because all these, all these, yeah, male street hustlers telling uh, stories about these their interactions early, they had with John during it's, like their. It's interesting, they call it dates. Yeah. My first date. Yeah, he's talking about and stuff like that. Where oh, my friend kept yeah. the money, and I go up, and I got oh, I got cold feet. I don't want to do this, so we go back down, and my friend took the money and ran. Yeah, so I still had to do the day. All of these like no really dangerous situations. So it, I, I think that scene is monumentally important for this movie, especially for being in the beginning of the part of the movie because it really does kind of give you stakes this film there's no real plot but again there is story and there are stakes there and again it's like what you two have been kind of alluding to which is just the safety of these kids yeah. pretty much um so yeah, that, yeah that's a very powerful scene and then there's also like all these just like shots of like them waiting kind of like in the cold yeah. or like in the rain and like you just have to kind of sit there with them for a while um it, it so one of the things that I was reading and, like, I also kind of see this in the film is, just like, uh, my own private Idaho. I think that Idaho kind of re- represents this ideal, I like, this idea of home that Mike has. Yeah, and Mike is looking for home. Yeah. Yeah, he's looking for mom, but what he's really looking for is home. And I think that, you know, in some way he kind of feels that Scott is kind of a part of that. Mm. And, um... Uh, so I don't know. Uh, so that, I, I think that's why, like, every time he has those bouts of narcolepsy and you see the the imagery of, yeah. like, Idaho, it's he's dreaming of home. He's dreaming you know? of home that, in a way, doesn't really exist anymore. Because a yeah. lot of those are memories. And that's why I really love yeah. the film's title. Yeah. My Own Private mm-hmm. Idaho. Because when he has those narcolepsy episodes and he falls asleep, he doesn't get the it's montage. It's his own private Idaho. He gets, yeah. exactly. He gets also, his own little glimpse of home. And really the only time he is home is when he's passed out due, his, yeah. due to his medical condition. Yeah. yeah. And also it's a damn good um, B-52 song. It is. Living in my yeah. own private Idaho. private Idaho. How is that song not in this movie? I, I mean, that's yeah. why he named the movie. Oh, he should have used this. it. Uh, Woof. <laughs> Woof. Uh, but I love that they have the, the Pogues in there. It's, that's a, I think it's, is it Irish? The I think it's in the Pogues. Uh, I know that they sing this, the final song that's over the mm. credits, um, but they're like an Irish punk band. But, oh, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, so like one of the, okay, before I say this, Gus Van Sant, he makes really good, like old school footage. Like, yeah, the Super 8 footage mm. is fucking beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I and I love that one of the last scenes that we see of the mother, because like almost all the scenes that we see of the mother in this like Super 8, like kind of film, it's very close up. But then in one of the last scenes that we see that we see it um, pull away, you know, like almost like he's kind of like he's losing he's losing her like officially in mm. some ways. Yeah. And you kind of um, he literally can't find her. Yeah. When when they go to Italy and Mike finds out that his mother was in Rome, but then moved back to the stage. You, you do just kind of get this sense that like, he's going to be it. like one step behind. Yeah. Forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's just like this, like collective, like, <sighs> like, fuck. 
Yeah. That this is his kid's whole story yeah. is never fighting I, her. I think that that, yeah. that shot he, where you pull out from his mom kind of adds to that. Because he loses Scott at the same time. So that it's like the, whatever idea of home that yeah. I had and or hoped to have is gone. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the the campfire scene is directly in front of Roma, right? I believe Don't so, Don't we go yeah. from the campfire yeah, to we then go, Rome? Yeah, we go from the campfire, no, to... Mm-hmm. Them meeting up with Hans to sell the motorcycle. Oh, that's right. Because because they steal a motorcycle. But, but still, it's still well, yeah, it's, it's a sad turn of events because he confesses his love, and then you're in Roma, and he's shagging some Italian woman. Yeah, you know, well, like, you like right there in the same room. Well, do you think that that might just have like a? He's just reinforcing like his personal. Uh, Scott, his personal pledge to heteronormativity and therefore to his old life. I I think no. that that's well. I think that's the interesting thing about Scott is that like well, we're never really gonna know. We're never really like gonna know. But I he's such, yeah. because he's, he's so like ins- a schemer, you can never know what's he's, really in his he's head. He's so inscrutable. You know? Like on the one hand, like yeah, like I'll you know on some level take it at face value that Scott is like no, I just do this for money. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have to do this for money. No. So, like, why choose, of, like, ways to rebel, why choose the life of, you know, a street hustler who's having sex with other men for money? Is, is he kind of rebelling against his own sexuality? Yeah, like, what's, yeah, we'll, we'll, or, you know, is he embracing a part of himself that he's recognizes that he's going to have to kill once he, you know, takes, yeah, becomes king, question. takes over the family business? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. It's why, yeah. I it, mean, his... His relationship with Mike is very intimate and caring. Like, he's always picking him up. He's putting him in his own clothes, you know, to protect him. You know, he even says, like, I'm going to leave you here, Mike, because you're going to be safer here than in the city. Yeah, or, like, like, even after Mike confesses his love, like... You know, he holds. He him. doesn't like come yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. like he. And yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't like force him away or anything, which I, no. I thought was you know very sweet. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting. Oh man, I gotta Good watch movie. it again. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it is definitely an interesting movie. Um, I want to talk about the sex scenes naturally. Oh, the yeah. sex tableau. I love those. I love them. Yeah, it's such it's such '90s independent cinema judge. Well, there's also one sex yeah. scene that is not a tableau, and that's the one under the covers. No, an actual it. sex scene. That's mm-hmm. the oh, the beginning it, of the movie. The beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Do you yeah. know what mm-hmm. the one element that is not there in that sex scene that is present in all the other ones? Uh, go for it, Scott. Ah, interesting. So, like. I don't know. The way I interpret that is like all of the sex scenes with where Scott is present, you see them in tableau. Yeah. Because these are moments that Mike are, are important to Mike. He, he treasures them. Right. Whereas, you know, when fucking whatever his name is, Walter is sucking his dick at the beginning of the movie. Right. It's, you know, it's work. Yeah. He's dissociated I, from it. Um, I don't know. I, that's that's I, how I, I also could, saw it. Is Mike even present for the sex scene in the He's end? not, but he's hearing it happen. Yeah, right. Like the one, but I don't know. I, I thought of it more as like that those, I don't know. 
like we see we see Mike dissociate by seeing him go to like Idaho and like, you know, the salmon and the barn and all these different things. But with the other sex scenes, I I kind of read it as like uh, Scott's dissociation from um, from from the sex and from intimacy, because I don't know, there is just something about the way that like after the tableau of him and the girl, uh, like he before he goes to bed, he kind of just like looks off. I don't know. I just felt like he was disconnected from it. I can hmm. I can see that. The The only reason why I think of it as like something that Mike is trying to hold in his mind is that so much of the rest of the movie is from Mike's perspective. Yeah, they're like snapshots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I feel like this is maybe a good point. That's exactly why I, we're talking about sex scenes. This is why I brought it up. Oh, OK, wait, kid. Oh, okay. All right. Never mind. It's fine. If we need to. No, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. We don't have anywhere to be. It takes a third leg to make a tripod. Come on. Come on. Okay. Uh, I really liked the last line of the movie that Mike has that refers back to kind of just like the idea of searching for home where he says the road will never end. It probably goes all the way around the world. Um, just saying that like, you know, like I'll never, I'm I'm pretty much, I'll probably never find what I'm looking for. And this, whatever it is that I want is always going to be in the distance and out of my reach. Um, and I don't know. It's kind of sad the way that the movie ends with like him getting picked up by somebody and we don't know what happens to him, you know, a very open-ended. Yeah. I actually love that ending because it's like, oh no, this story continues. We're just not Mm -hmm. a part of it anymore as an audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the only time in the movie that we see the traveling. Yeah, pretty much. Him in the car. Also very interesting that the movie starts with, like, Mike saying the road looks like some kind of fucked Fucked up up face. And then the movie ends Mm -hmm. with have a nice day, which is, uh, as anyone who has seen Forrest Gump knows, the slogan on the happy face T-shirt. That's right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But uh, let's talk about another movie now. Yeah, it's let's not segue. a jumping off Woo. point. But Speaking of sex, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk right about in. another uh, road movie about two young men trying to find their way in the world. Itu mama tambien. I'm going to read the description. Please do. The lives of Julio and Tanak, uh, like those of 17-year-old boys everywhere, are ruled by raging hormones, intense friendships, and a headlong rush into adulthood. Over the course of a summer, the two best friends, while living out a carefree cross-country escapade with a gorgeous older woman, also find connection with each other, themselves, and the world around them. Uh, Yeah, so this was, as I said, directed by Alfonso Cuaron and uh, cinematography by Emmanuel Lebesky. So good. I really like this movie. Me too. I think it's It's, very fun. It's my favorite of the two. I think, like, it is definitely sad and bittersweet. Oh, yeah. But, like, in terms of being a movie that captures the experience of uh, trying to figure figure yourself out and also feeling like you have it all figured out yep. as a shithead 17-year-old boy. The ignorance of you. There are I few things better. I think they're 18 better. or 19. Uh, you know, it says 17, and I'm kind of inclined to believe it. Yeah. Because... Uh, Fun fact, uh, Quaron's son was 17 uh-huh. when he was making this movie. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Oh. And he he made this movie kind of as like a, you know, I, I want to make a, you know, coming of age road trip movie that, you know, 
captures what it's like to be that age yeah. more so. And it very much gets it right. Yeah. Like, just like the whole, again, the ignorance of youth and also the fucking energy of it. Yeah. Too. Like, I remember being that full of energy. Like, it's almost exhausting to watch this movie now. Like, them in the grocery store just getting chips. Yeah. They're, like, tackling each other and shit like that. I'm like, yeah, wow. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Frequently, yeah, I was I was very much like that as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all remember what it was like. Yeah, I went. Right? Yeah, and then we I, sound so I old was right a now. horrendous seventeen-year-old. Yeah, and then yeah. I went on a road trip with my cousin by marriage, and we had sex, and then I kissed my friend, and we never talked about it again. There we go. So you know, I see a lot of myself in this movie. I think this is your life story. <laughs> Whoa! 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 Whoa. Um, yeah. So. I guess to uh, return briefly to the uh, big topic of this episode. Yes. Uh, this movie takes place basically right around when the uh, controlling party, uh, the IRP, PRI? PRI. Yeah, the PRI, uh, the controlling party of Mexico, was just about to go out of power. Mm. So it's kind of fitting that you're telling yeah, with El Presidente himself in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. You don't see his face, but you see the back of his head. But it's it's a story about both people and a country yes. going through their adolescence. This is and very much a movie of Mexico. Yeah, and and I, love I mean, that. well, literally the fucking last names of the main characters, mm. like Julia's last name is Cortez. Right. Uh, fucking uh, Julio's last name is Zapata. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what Tenochtitlan's mm-hmm. last name is, but I believe it's the last name of the uh, first emperor of Mexico after Spain uh, it was ousted. Iturbide. Yeah. Iturbide. Yeah. So I'm like all all that. names that are significant to the history of Mexico. Yeah. So I don't know. That's some fucking thematic consistency that I enjoy. Yeah, damn right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, because okay. Zapatista is uh, the the person who led the yeah. uprisings yeah, uh, I mean, in the nineties. Yeah. So well, uh, he was uh, part of the Mexican Revolution way back. I thought uh, in like yeah, the, but there's the like 20s. specifically like a, a uh, thing Zap- that happens that starts in like the, in ninety four. I think actually, uh, like a Zapatista uh, party. Yeah, like I know that Gael uh, Bernal Garcia, uh, Gael Gael Garcia Bernal, Bernal, like he he like went to like one of like the rallies or something like that. Okay, in, in interesting. Or something, nice. so. But yeah, yeah, no, I yeah I know the name comes from uh, Emiliano Zapata. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so same question as last time. All right. What's your guys' relationship to this movie, Alexis? I actually don't remember the first time I saw this movie, but I know that it had to have happened when I was around this age, like Mm. when I was having like my, oh my God, I love indie film and stuff like coming out of like high school and stuff. Um, So I, because I remember thinking like, oh my God, they're so cute. (laughs) And and, uh, the second time that I watched this movie was when I put it on for Michelle's uh, class. And I Your record continues. Oh my god! Yeah, I I like I was Only trying. I was putting on the movie. movies. Yeah, I was putting on the movie, and I was like, oh, I should stand up here and make sure that the, this mu- was the sound's the movie. on wow. and that the subtitles are working. And I forgot how the movie like starts, and so I'm just literally That's standing there awesome. in front of like a bunch of twenty year olds, and <laughs> yeah. and then I'm just like staring at the screen, and it opens on Diego Luna's like. 
ass. Like young ass, youthful boot cheeks. Absolutely you know? jackhammer in his girlfriend. Yes. So, yeah, and I'm just like I'm like I'm standing there just like uh, okay, say something, say something, so I can see that the subtitles are on. And it took <laughs> it, it felt like forever. Now that I watched hilarious. it this time, I'm like it actually doesn't take that long, but it felt like forever. Oh, yeah, for and sure. then what people. what does what does he say when he finally says something? Promise me you won't cheat on me with some, some Italian, Italian. Yeah. because anti-Italian yeah. discrimination crosses takes, borders. Takes the making world fun, over. Making fun of Italians <laughs> is universal. Yeah. Uh, to our, you know, like less than one percent of our listeners from Italy, a manjo manjo. I give a good. It's a me. But I mean, the sex scene. That's why I brought up that as a segue because. What makes this an interesting double feature is the sex scenes could not be any more different. The sex scenes are so oh, fucking yeah. fast-paced, e- cameras, handheld. Yeah, it's like, it really does feel like these two actors are going at it, and the cameraman just got stuck in the room before he could get out, so he's like, well, fuck it, I might as well shoot it. It's, like, it's just that God. visceral and raw and realistic, which, by the way, is so hilarious about this movie is how quickly, not to be crass, but how quickly these young boys The boys are busted. They bust. It's so fast, and it it gets funnier every time it happens. Yeah, because, so I would like to say that potentially my favorite performance in this movie is Maribel Verdu as uh, Louisa. From Pan's Labyrinth, speaking of which. Um... Yes, oh, did I, yes, call, yes. I feel like I called her Julia earlier, and I'm I'm going to hell for that. Um, she is so fucking good in this movie. Incredible. And she is so good. She she sells those yeah, moments because she, she, you know. So essentially, during this movie, these two boys meet her at uh, Tenoch's cousin's wedding. wedding. Right. She's. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cousin's wife. They kind of hit on her, invite her on this road trip to a beach that right. does not actually exist. Because Boca they are... Del cielo. Right. Yeah, because they, they their are testosterone-filled yeah, Their girlfriends boys. have gone to Italy. They oh. want to fuck this woman. Um, then I... she <laughs> finds out that her husband is cheating on her yes. and decides to go on a road trip right. with these boys. So, Eventually ends up having sex with I... both of them. And in the sex scenes that... <laughs> She has with both of them. Both of them like go in, go in with they gusto, so fucking fast. bust immediately, and then yeah. go. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. And she's yeah. like, it's okay, and it's like, yeah. you know, kind of. You can see on her face that she is frustrated and also like stifling a laugh. Yeah, she's like, it's almost cute, like to her, like, oh wow, it's adorable. These, yeah, exactly. <laughs> These boys are it's a young, dumb, and full of cum. God damn it, I love <laughs> Fucking them. Literally. Yeah, that's literally. that's what they are. But okay, literally. so my turn. I've never seen this before. I had not seen this before so either. So this was my first time. So that moment when we see uh, her get that unfortunate phone call that she's been cheated on um, was when I realized, oh, that's the moment I realized where this movie was going because I knew nothing about it. I knew absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. about it. They invite her to the beach and you just get this tension like, ah, you know, that'd be interesting to watch this happen because I was watching this whole movie thing. It was a queer film. Like, oh, these two boys are gay. They're going to find that they're in love with each other. Bisexual, buddy. And that's the road trip movie, right? Yeah. No. So when she finds out, I was like, oh, shit. 
I cannot wait <laughs> to see how this story unfolds. And it's so yeah. good. It's funny. Oh, my God. It's heartfelt. It's it's tragic. It's because I didn't see the end coming. No. So by the way, spoilers. Not at all. At the end of this movie. Uh, so big spoilers. The, like the, don't the, listen to this. At the very end. At the end of their road trip, mm-hmm. Tanoch, uh, Luisa, and Julio have a threesome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tanoch and Julio, uh, who have been at odds because they find out that they, uh, they both they fucked both each, fucked other's, each girlfriends. other's girlfriends, uh, kiss yeah. while they're having this threesome. Um, and then, you know, are kind of weirded out by this. They wake up nude. Wake up bed. nude, run out of the bed, and you know, kind of fall out of touch. And there's and uh, there's an omniscient narrator that kind of gives you yeah. the context of what Which happens fantastic. later. Uh, yeah, very French New I Wave. Love, I love the narrator. Um, but then the two of them meet up a year later at the end of the movie, and they find out, we find out that uh, Louisa has died, that she had uh, cancer. No. While she was traveling with them. And that she knew the whole time. Yeah, and it totally contextualizes why she came on this road trip. It, and it completely recontextualizes all the scenes where she's crying to herself. Yeah. Too. That, mm-hmm. that was why it was so impactful for me. So I'm like, oh, she's struggling. Like, she's trying to, to still make sure her family or, or her loved ones or ex, like, still either has what they need, even though she's not there right now. She's feeling very emotional about it. But now I'm like, oh, well, fuck. Like, she was saying goodbye. Yeah. Like, no fucking wonder this was so hard on her. And, of course, she I, wanted to go on a road trip with these young guys who are, you know, just starting their lives. Yeah, full of life. Yeah. yeah. And other things. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that's, like, doubly tragic about her is that it's, like, clear that at the one moment that she's decided to take, like, agency of her life is the last moments that she's ever going to have. Yeah. Because she spent, like, all of her youth... Like, she was orphaned at 10, right? So she lost really early. And then she spent, like, most of the rest of her youth, like, taking care of her sick aunt, who I love this, like, little aside, how they talk about how, like, the aunt was, like, pro-Franco, who was the dictator in Spain. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, like, it shows you, like, exactly, like, what she was already having to kind of put up with. And it makes it very interesting that she herself is so progressive. Yeah. Um, and, uh... And then also, like, it ties into the other movie that she's in, which is Pan's Labyrinth, which right. takes place during Franco, Spain. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. And, and then it's like, you know, she, she lost her boyfriend, uh, her first boyfriend when she was a teenager to a motorcycle accident. And, you know, even, and then even the next guy that she loved, like, was that she took care of, you know, that she, you know, cause like as a, as a woman, you know, and especially in like a patriarchal society that like her Mexican husband comes from, you know, she's expected to just, you know, do whatever the fuck he wants, you know? So she's literally always lived her life for everybody else. And the, the moment that she gets to live her life for herself is only because she realizes she's going to be fucking dying. Yeah. So it's super fucking tragic. It's really tragic. Yeah. So Although not to, I really, what? Not to be crass, please okay. be crass. But has anyone ever looked fucking sexier than when Louisa is slowly kind of drinking her shot of tequila and, and dancing, dancing to the Oh my god! Making and dead eye contact yes. with the camera. The fucking handheld shot down my body. Yeah, because oh also god. just her from behind, she's breaking the, the music. Wall. Coming oh, over, 
Uh, because also, not only is it sexy, but also I think that that shot does a really good job. Like, you feel like you're fucking drunk on tequila, like, watching that. Yeah. Like, yeah. just the camera movement, her glassy eyes, the way she's kind of moving her mouth a it's, little bit. It's just like, wow. It's, just, it's, it's a love feel song like that's playing in the background yeah. as well. So, um, it, like, the lyrics, I can't remember exactly what it was saying, but it's a, there's a love song that's playing in the background. Mm. Um, and she's looking at you, directly at you, yeah. breaking the fourth yeah. wall. And that's the only very, time in the I movie that the happened. Choice. I, yeah. yeah. Feeling feral. Yeah. That feeling, was, like Alexa, feeling like Alexis, feeling like Alexis talking this, about Adam Driver, yeah, just really. losing it. This this movie is so <laughs> well cast. It yeah. Is yeah, so well cast. Ser- shout out to uh, Diego Luna and Gail Garcia Bernal because yeah. they were, I believe, uh, I think Diego Luna was nineteen mm. and Bernal mm-hmm. was twenty one. They were like, very young. Difficult performances and also like vulnerable performances. Mm-hmm. They're Again, full frontal. To be crass, they're time, hanging dog. Yeah. Like there's still like obviously like you, like I'm Mexican, okay? So like I feel like I can like at what? least touch on this like I can at least touch on this slightly, but like that there is a lot of, you know, machismo in the culture and you know, at this time this was a very risky thing to star in in like but funnily enough people love this fucking movie yeah. like this movie did so well also yeah. there this they, this was not any anywhere near their first performances they were child stars like oh were they okay they're they're, they're basically like kind of nepo babies like their parents are all i think diego luna's parents were um a, like a costume designer or like a scenic designer or something and then uh gael's uh mother was an actress and then you his know, father was like a director and so th- they were in uh telenovelas when they were nice. younger nepotism annoys me but it doesn't annoy me with actors because nepotism gives you opportunity but it doesn't necessarily give you talent and Diego know, Luna and, and Ga- okay. Gael Garcia Bernal, they both have talent out I'm, the wazoo. I'm, I'm more okay like, with I, I'm more okay <laughs> with actor nepotism because like yeah. two hot people are going to make another hot person who I would like to see on screen. Right, but, but it's also a talent. It takes, it takes more than you know your dad being fucking John Landis to be a talented screenwriter, Max Landis. I guess I don't know. There's a lot of fucking colorism in Mexico. If you've ever if you've ever seen any fucking like TV stations, the only fucking people that are on those like TV stations are white Mexicans. And a lot of times those are the only people that have any real money. Like and that was why also I found Roma that Cuaron also directed to be so incredible because like it featured an indigenous woman, which, you know, and I think that was the first time like an indigenous woman. as the lead and she got a lot of fucking flack for that like movie and her even being on like the cover of Vogue because in Mexico it's still not considered beautiful to have like dark skin and so I think that's why I'm like "Mm, the nepotism it's it's feeling a little dirty (laughs) because like you know they're they come from like white Mexican families you know and that grew up with money and most of the time you you literally can't rise any higher in Mexico unless you have money and you're not dark skinned <laughs> pretty much. So right. yeah, fair point. Yeah. 
Touche, Alexis. Touche. I mean, there's a lot of fucking layers to this movie. The classism and everything. Like, Tenoch fucking comes from this, like, crazy class of wealth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Tenoch is literally, like, his dad is a corrupt government official who was, like, doing fucking import schemes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he vacations what? at Lake Tahoe, yeah, and they right. had to flee to Vancouver to hide out after the import. Isn't that fraud? what they talk about with Tenoch? Is like this was oh, the second time he felt this like sharp pain in his stomach, yeah. and the first time was when he saw pictures of his dad like corroborating like this whole scheme. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. which and he had again, to take off to Vancouver. I, yeah. Again, I know we've talked about, it, but I gotta give a shout out. I love the narration in this film because it yeah first of all when you meet certain characters then the the sound just cuts out and the narrator will just come in and provide some context and backstory that's not relevant at all to our hero's journey but it gives you a glimpse of who these people are as people just like you get when you meet a human being in real life when you meet someone at a party and -and so-and-so that you know comes to you and goes oh you know they're dating this person and oh blah, blah 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 and you're like oh now i feel like I know them a little bit more, or at the very least, you're kind of um, classifying them a little bit. Or you get context mm-hmm. for like, you know, the rest of their life going forward or yeah. like what's happening in the country I, at large. Like, I love the ending where the narrator goes, this would be the last time they ever see each other and then cuts to their dialogue where they say, well, I'll see you again soon. Yeah. Like that is so yeah. powerful where the narration completely yeah. contradicts the words or when or when the uh the when uh gail garcia bernal basically admits that you know i've uh, i fucked your girlfriend and the narrator comes in like he's starting to only give half truths and spin it to be like the least offensive or the least harmful yeah. story yeah. which the is so real it's so real about that scene is that like because obviously like you have uh, Tenoch who like goes off on Hulu at that point and then later on finds out that who uh, that Tenoch like also cheated with Julio's girlfriend and then like you know he's like actually you know what beg for my fucking forgiveness because you laid the fuck into me you know because like Tenoch says some like very rude and hurtful things he calls Julio an arrevista which is like a social climber basically saying like you know like oh you know like you're you get to be where you are because you're friends with me and he also calls Boo. Yes, and he calls him and he calls him an anaco, an, an, which is like um, basically like saying that he's like poor and also could be kind of like a derogatory like term for somebody who's like more dark skinned. Like he just like really says some like shit that you're just like, dude, okay, uh, you know, like <laughs> let he who is without sin cast the first stone right. kind of shit because you also did the same thing. Apparently, for we real. find out later. In in that All vein right. of them like calling each other slurs, I I also find it interesting how often they you know kind of drop the f slur around one another. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, protesting a bit too much, homies. You just gotta for kiss. Real. It's yeah. okay. Which you're you're, you're already jacking off she, next to each other. Yeah, she, Louisa kept saying like you you guys just need to fuck. Oh my god! You guys need to fuck, and then we'll fuck. You guys need to fuck first. After they have their big blow-up fight, where she walks away from the car, and uh, Julio kind of pushes her. Yeah, uh, she has this big blow-up that includes the line, "What's it matter if you fucked each other's girlfriends with how fast you came?" Right, I (laughs) laughed so hard. But yeah, she's also like, "You two are like all men." Uh, p- you know, possessing over the women in your lives when you really just want to fuck each other. Right. 
Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Cut them love, to the quick. I love what she so. said. <laughs> Loved it because, like, I you know, growing up in a Mexican family, the way that men fucking talk about women, like even around other fucking women, and just like the possessiveness, like seeing her say that on screen and knowing that like a large amount of the Mexican population has seen this movie and actually love this movie, I'm like, bravo, bravo, yeah. bringing bringing the education to the masses. Yeah. <laughs> Because it does uh, the way the homophobia that is in like machismo culture has always felt like thou doth protesteth too much. Oh, for you know? sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they, they hilarious. They're always fucking like, they're always talking about each other's dicks too. Yeah. And like yours has a hood. They know exactly like what size each other's penises are. Yeah. Like <laughs> again, in the shower room. Yeah. Like, come on guys. Yeah. Just go at it. Please, I want to yeah, see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want it. I know for real. The, the when they kiss at the end, it's so hot. I would like it on record that um, the only thing that I love more than two women kissing on screen is two, two men, men kissing, kissing on, on screen. screen. Yeah. Oh, woo, God, that's my <laughs> shit right there. Oh my God, listeners! I, I know this is not a visual medium, but just now, Alexis' eyes popped out like a foot outside her yeah, head and her tongue, tongue, her tongue unfurled, unfurled onto like the staircase. Floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that was very kinda, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, she turned into yes. like a little tornado and she <laughs> shot out a frame. And um, steam came out of her ears. It was nuts. You had to be there. But uh, <laughs> speaking of the kiss, um, I am reading it as so during the threesome at the end. Because again, we keep talking about them being with women. Like, how is this a queer film? Well, so yeah. bisexual. In the end, they're making out with each other, and then it cuts to them. Oh, I guess it's done. Cut. Now it's the next morning, and then we see them in bed naked. I am yeah. very much reading that as oh, it was more than just them making out. Like, that's what yeah. we saw, but what transpired, I'm choosing to believe, was everything and anything that you could possibly I assume. probably went. The amount of tequila that was had that night, I'm telling you, it was, all bets were off. I assume. What happened in that beach hut will I assume, stay in that I beach assume hut. that what happened is similar to the ending of the Lonely Islands music video, The Golden Rule. Yes. Which, as we all know, the song, it's not gay when it's in the three-way. Three yeah. It's okay oh when God. it's in the... Th and then at the end of the music video, uh, Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake are in bed with Lady Gaga, and then she comes back into the room, and they realize that they're just in bed with each other. Yeah. No, exactly. That's what happened. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, ch I am choosing to believe, and I think they're insinuating that they, they fucking made love. They did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I know in my heart that they actually had sex, but it is even just the idea that they like made out with such passion, I think is something so vulnerable yeah. that like with the way that their homophobia is, they could like never talk about it again. It's, yeah. it's the first. Um, well, it's, it's interesting, too, that we talk about their homophobia because they also talk about their friend who's gay who's gay who that they like, don't hang out with anymore yeah but they they make a point to be like what no no he's he's still our friend he just doesn't want to hang out with us he's you know hanging out right. with different people and you know some of that's probably bullshit but it, it's it's yeah. interesting that you know in you know 2001 these two teenagers still want to be like no we're not we're not homophobic we still like him like yeah right i i don't know i i found that kind of surprising in some ways um well i mean you know for this 
the, the it's 2001. I mean, there is some progression with like the youth and stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because like the culture is steeped a certain way doesn't mean that all the youth like necessarily like believe all of it anymore. Um, but I do think it's interesting that like at the very end they do talk about that friend and they bring up the fact. Uh, Tenoch says, "Oh yeah, that guy. His dad actually kicked him out of the house." And he, I think Julio's like, "Oh, that's." That's terrible, you know, but then they like don't talk about it again, you know, right. where it's I I think Julio says that's terrible and Tenoch is like, yeah, but he seems very happy. Mm-hmm. Like mm. it's it's almost yeah. like one of them is kind of trying to open the door to that conversation mm. uh, yeah. about, you know, what I, happened between the two of them. I like how many like the whole my own private Idaho ties into this so well because you have a character like Tenoch who uh, at the very beginning of the film, he's very much like, I want to be a writer. I don't want to study economy, even though my dad wants me to study economy. Like he wants me to be just like him. But then you see at the very end, he slipped right into that role. Yeah, he's studying economics. yeah, he's studying economics, you know, and Julio's also going to school. I don't know. it's, It's a... Interesting tie-in that you have, like, uh, that really sells the the classism that both directors kind of touch on, which is that the people at the top many times will just fall back into line when they're done having their fun. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I don't know, I really found that very interesting because when I was growing up and in high school, I had... I was in a rave. I was doing a lot of raves, doing a lot of, you know, extracurricular activities that might be a little illegal. And and I did end up having like friends that like, you know, ended up addicted to like heroin or meth or that died and things like that, you know, and a lot of times this, the kids that ended up, making it out of that you know either they had like a really good support from their friends or they had their their parents had money exactly most of the kids that made it out of that lifestyle their parents were able to like help them out like help them get out of that so i think when i watch these movies it makes me like doubly sad because like i know how real it is that like the kids that yeah. are at the top will just fall back on what they they had you know and kind of the same with me cuz like i'm not i'm not dirt poor or anything but i am like yeah. lower middle class you know right yeah i mean another little glimpse of class that i thought made me feel a little melancholy was at the end of the movie the, that lovely family that took them out on the little yeah, fishing Choi. boat mm-hmm. where he, that there's this new resort coming in and after it's put in and takes all this beautiful land, by the way, this capitalist endeavor. Yeah. Chili, the guy who takes them out on the boat he becomes a janitor. Yeah. And this, he would yeah. never fish again. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. So yeah, I, it's just I the listen. erosion of, of these wonderful things caused by yeah. uh, <coughs> capitalism. Um, yeah, it's sad. And that that's, I mean, Roma plays into that, too. I fucking got to give a shout out to Alfonso Cuaron, man. Good director. Yeah. Honestly, really watching these, watching these, this, this movie, especially the sex scenes, I'm like, well, no wonder this guy did Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. I, I still think that my, my favorite of his is probably, he did Children of Men, right? 
I haven't seen mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Children of it's Men really is a Children movie. of God. Children of Men. Children of Men. Is a fucking incredible That's movie. with Clive Owen, right? Yes. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. Uh, watch Children That's of Men. That's one of those masterpieces from the 2000s, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is a great yeah, fucking movie. Yeah, 2006, I think. Yes. Wow. Um, on a lighter note, I just uh-huh. want to say that uh, when... Uh, they're doing their toasts at the end of the movie when they're all uh, right. Louisa to the clitoris. Yeah, yeah, when the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, I love that they so much. It's one of my favorite lines. They toast to jerking off, yeah. and uh, Louisa goes, "No, do not toast." And then Julio and Tenoch go, "See, see, 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 see." Yes. And it, that is the closest <laughs> moment that we have gotten in any movie that we've covered so far to. Yeah, it's the same energy. It's the same, same thing. energy. Actually, yeah. I wait. That's what our subtitles else, read. Was just I, boys, 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 boys. I have a story about that scene. Oh, please do tell. Tell us your tale. Yarn. Hey, okay. So uh, apparently, like you know, Quaron wanted it to be like as real as possible. So I think he they they went out and for like two days they kind of like blocked the scene. And they got drunk. He, like, had them actually get, like, fucking, like, shammered, right? And then on the third day, they came in. They're like, all right, so now we're going to do the scene. Now we kind of know, like, what it is that we want to do. And so it was kind of – it. so – it feels really improv, you know? And that's because, like, they spent so much time kind of, like, exploring, like, how would it go if we yeah. really so were drunk? They rehearsed and then the scene yeah. and then rehearsed it drunk and then did the thing. Fuck yeah. That's no, great. No, no, no. They, like, spent, like, two days, like, being, <laughs> they did, like, Yeah, drinking. they did the scene drunk for a few days right. and then did it for real. Right, yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, like, well, like, like, like them hanging out, you know, and, like, kind of not, like, even rehearsing the scene, but kind of, like, making the scene itself, you know? Mm. Do you get what I mean? Like, kind of I'm kind picking of up what you're putting it. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm smelling what you're and, stepping uh, in. I love that the men that are in the corner, like, yeah. so I listen to this I keep looking podcast. at the table, too. I, I, I listen to this podcast movies that uh, made us gay mm-hmm. and uh, the the girl who was on it she was actually like uh, that was the guest on it uh, she was born in Mexico and like had like immigrated like to the US like in her like I don't know like middle school years or something and she was like it's so funny that these men in the background like literally like never respond to anything that they're saying like they're just like yeah. they're just there you know yeah. and like they probably were paid like some, some pesos like just right. they're probably men from the Pueblo that were just like yeah, there, there to there. be there. Those are not background actors. <laughs> you know? Those are just yeah, people that live out. in there. Yeah. No, yeah, when they kept so, when they kept doing salutes to like the clitoris and to jerking off, yeah. my, I kept going to that back table. Like, are they not responding to this? Because at a certain point, I would have turned around, and I would have chimed in, I would have started cheering along <laughs> yeah. with them. Well, you can hear Choi yeah. doing it from over there. Oh yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, but like all the other men are just like the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Oh yeah, that shit's all funny. I really enjoyed this picture. Yeah, it was damn yeah. good. It makes it's me want to so watch uh, Motorcycle Diaries because that's also with Gael Garcia Bernal, right? Uh, Isn't it? Is it? I, I think, have not seen that before. I think so that's I don't a road know. trip movie with him. Let's see. Um, and if I'm if I'm completely off base, well then I guess I'm just completely wrong. But still, oh yeah, yep. This is yeah. it was just such a good time. Um, 
still not sure how I feel about his hair, though. Uh, rough hair on that's him in this one. That's a rough hair on That's a Gael. rough haircut. Who? Gael? That's, that's not got a fucking. I love him in his little bandanas and his tiny yeah, shorts. Yeah, that works. Because like, it makes him yeah. look lesbian. Yeah, the bandana helps, but when he doesn't... <laughs> All right. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> uh... uh but yeah, when he doesn't uh, have that bandana on, that's a fucking rough, rough haircut. Yeah, he looks so good. I was a little like, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to feel about the beginning scene because like I remember the first movie I ever saw Diego Luna in was Dirty Dancing Havana Nights that came out in like 2006. <laughs> so, and I love that movie. I've seen that movie so many times Girl, because same. I love Diego Luna and, and I love dancing just like you, Rick. And, um, yeah, and so, like, he was, like, in his, like, mid to late 20s when he did that movie, mm. you know? And then, like, you go back to seeing him at, like, 2021, and I'm just like, oh, no, he looks like a child. I'm looking at a child's <laughs> butt. And he no, talks like he's one, a he baby. Does. He's a baby. Uh, <laughs> he go does. to prison, <laughs> man! Go to prison! <laughs> I'm already there, buddy. Ah! I'm already there. You straight to jail. Straight to also, jail with like, you, I, you motherfucker! I wish I remembered how I responded to them the first time that I saw this movie, because when I saw them roll up to Luisa for the first time, all I could say was, pinche perros, like, I, like you could just see their fucking, like, tail, like, thumping, no, for real. you know, just, they're like, puppies. right behind her. Yeah, they they're, really they're, like, are excited puppy puppies, yeah. and they go, they're, at, play, they're playing with their new toy. I think <laughs> that at one point, Luisa even calls them dogs, like, yeah. they're fighting like dogs, because it's like, speaking, speaking of, of which... It's it's Diego Luna it's, himself. It's my, it's my pinche perro. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> well, sweet Jesus again. Well, listeners, uh, one of our hosts does live at a dog kennel right now. Yeah, that is true. But she volunteers there. Yeah, she's not doing it for the game. She's doing it for love of the game. She's doing it for love of the game. She loves um, the game. Another another line that Luisa says is like, uh, hang out with babies and you have to change their diapers. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a good one. Solid dunk. That's good true. Part. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Do we have yeah, anything else? I also else? love that. I love that Luisa kind of believes in like the three, the three deaths. If anybody's seen Coco, there's like yeah, you there's three deaths me. in like Mexican culture where it's like uh, first you die and then you're buried and then the last time that you die is when the last person who remembers you also dies. Remember me. Also, Gael Garcia Bernal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. You should watch uh, Coco. Movie. It's beautiful. You should watch it on my Great. gorgeous so OLED I television. Awesome. Yeah, good plug. Uh, yeah, I'll... Uh, <laughs> it's made by Sony. Okay. I'll double feature that with uh, <laughs> when I watch Finding Nemo. <laughs> I really did uh, enjoy Coco. Out of all the... It's so good. Yeah. Right up there. I used to watch it all the time in college when I was missing my family, and it would, like, make me cry every time. But you're saying Louisa believes in the three deaths. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that interaction that she had with... Um, the 98 year old woman kind of like on the yeah. side of the road in one of the pueblos um she gives her this little and it's it, they they show what she has and it it looks like a little ofrenda almost um but i'm not sure if it was just like things that were special to that What's woman an or ofrenda? not uh an ofrenda is like so like in coco uh you know you, you'll put like all your pictures of like your different family members on it like after they die it's like a shrine. so that you can celebrate 
Kind of, like, so that you can, uh, every year on, like, Day of the Dead, uh, supposedly they come back and they visit their family and all the family is together again. And you have their picture there so that they kind of, like, know where to come back to. And if, like, they, if you don't have the picture up, they can't come back, basically. Mm. Gotcha. Um, so it's, like, very important to keep their memory alive, essentially. And so then also it's, like, about the culture of keeping that person's... Uh, person's memory alive you know and uh and family. does, does you know, that kind of figure very important does that kind of figure in with her giving away the toy with her name on it yeah so then it's like uh the, the little girl who was the great granddaughter of this 90 year old woman she was killed when she was um crossing the arizona desert with her her family like trying mm. to go for a better life and so it's like she passes on that kind of like little knowledge about her granddaughter to mm. louisa because they share the same name well and you then know? louisa passes that on in turn because before she dies she gives that to uh, choice daughter yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's this beautiful little connection. Yeah. Um, the, the this yeah. little toy that comes through the movie. This this movie kind of uh, really plays to the fact that we're surrounded by stories that we either see or we are just kind of choosing to ignore. And mm -hmm. I think a good example of that for me, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and again, it has nothing to do with the main journey, but they're on the road trip. They're going around, and it says like. Had they been here 10 years earlier, they would have come across a road with blood on it. Yeah. Broke, and broken eggs and... and Chicken feathers and chickens dying. Dying. And then they would have gone further. There would have been a truck on its side. There would have been a guy in blood. And as this is going on, I'm like, well, that's sad. Why are we, why are we being told this? And all in, in the same shot, because it doesn't cut at all, because it's a Manuel Lubezki film, so he's just shooting this. And right when the narrator finishes that sentence, we come across these crosses that are on the side of the road. Of like, mm -hmm. and I go, oh shit. Okay. And in yeah, that moment, I'm just reminded of how many times I've driven down a road and I see crosses on the side of the road and I think, like, oh, this must be a dangerous area, or I don't think anything of it. But it, it's just there's stories all around us and there's sadness and tragedy all around us, um, pain. And I just thought that was just such a powerful storytelling uh, technique that they employ here. So good. Yeah. And also, like, right after that, they pass by a school. So you can imagine that there was probably just a child trying to walk home from school that mm -hmm. got hit, you yeah. know. Um, another thing is that, like, the very beginning of the movie, uh, Tonoch and Julio, like, they pass by this guy who dies on the freeway. And they're talking about uh, the Who he gets hit by a taxi. Yeah. He gets hit by a taxi and apparently like in order to safely get to where he works, he would have to go like a mile and a half out of the way. So he just every day he just takes a chance on running across the freeway, apparently. Yeah. Um, and this time he got hit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of like how the layout of Mexico City kind right. of is, actually. And, like, and also before that. Our two characters are talking about, oh, you know, it's probably these fucking protesters that's causing this traffic. Mm -hmm. God damn it. Uh, you know, oh, well, they have a right to protest. And, and then the other guy, he's like, well, yeah, I have a right to fucking get where I need to fucking go. Get where I want to go. I, I have yeah. a right. And then they come across the, the, the dead body on the road from the guy that hit by a taxi. That's what's causing this traffic. And it's just, yeah, it's yeah. just so fucking good. It, Great movie. It really does, like even highlight the fact that, like, obviously we know that Tenoch has, like, some sort of, like, privilege, you know? Mm -hmm. But he, despite Julio not coming from money, like, they both 
because they're so young, you know, they coast through life, like not really paying attention truly to like what's going on around them. Again, like there's another ignorant. scene. Yeah, they, there's a scene like uh, later on in the movie where they're passing through like a pueblo or something like that, and like there's people selling things like out of baskets on the side of the road, yeah. and the cops roll up on them, yes. and then like yeah. start harassing the fuck out of them, which is something that happened like genuinely. Like these are all all these right. scenes that are in the movie are things that have genuinely like happened before yeah. in Mexico, in Mexico. Which is great. Um, it's great seeing a, a, a Mexican story like speak to these truths, and it's done by a Mexican director. Writer director, yeah. so the, like it, it, the authorship totally works. And well, I, he's now, I believe, a two-time Academy Award-winning director. Two? I think so. Wow. Because I think well, he, he won, won. He won Best Director on Roma, and he won for Gravity, so he has won twice. Oh, that's right. Mm. He did Gravity. Okay. Well, they can't yeah. all be winners. <laughs> it's mm. fine. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my favorite things in the movie that ties into Roma is when they're passing by this little pueblo that they don't stop in, but like you can see Tenoch in the back seat and he's kind of like, all of a sudden he's really antsy and it's because they're passing by the town that his, um, his nanny is from. Right. And it says yeah, that exactly like, like Roma. yeah. Yeah. And it says, and this is very like, uh, this is like it's like a little prelude almost to Roma because like that's actually like Cuaron was you know a little uh, he had he came from a little money a little and uh, he had a nanny who who took care of him and uh, in in the movie Tenoch uh, is revealed to have had that a nanny as well yeah. you know very typical and, it's very yeah. typical of very like families with wealth to right. have indigenous women from the pueblos yeah. like outside of the city come in and take care of their children yeah. Um, and a lot of times these kids like view those women as like being their mothers. And it even mm -hmm. says that in the movie that like Tenoch, um, called her mommy up until she was like four, uh, up until he was like four years old. Yeah. yeah. That, um, I believe Alfonso Cuaron dedicated Roma to his mm -hmm. nanny growing up and really, and he said like, this yeah. is all nannies in Mexico. This yeah. is for you. Like. I know we're not talking about Roma, but still the the scene in Roma where that whole world exists on top of the rooftops of all these wealthy yeah. of, of, of houses where you have this own like subculture of nannies on all these different roofs, drying clothes from the from the uh, clothespins and stuff like that. It's just so fascinating. I should watch that movie again. I You know, let it's me know so when you're good. watching it. I'll watch it for the first time. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. But no, uh, Itomame Tambien, bravo. A Wonderful bra movie. Bravo to both. Yeah. yeah. I, I was more entertained with Itomame Tambien, uh, but still, they're both fantastic pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Good picks, Zach. Thank and you. Edwin and Salvador. Salvador. And with that, we have come to the end of Queer Cinema Month. I okay. Yeah, uh, let's let's before before let's we get do excited. A debrief. Yeah, exactly. Before we get excited for what's coming up next, I want to applaud ourselves. I'm always and down I'm just for gonna that. Leave it I'm at that. always fucking down <laughs> no, for that. No, what, what, why uh, I want to applaud ourselves? Please contextualize that. Is because <laughs> we're just so great. Yeah. And um, <sighs> so. We did a basically I was talking to Zach about this. What I really loved about Pride Month in, in mm -hmm. regards to the film majors is that this was like independent cinema month. Yeah, we we all the pictures that we chose, I, I thought were pitch perfect. I, I think we, we all in the suggestions that we got from fans, uh, ones that we picked. I there wasn't a bum in the lot. 
and they're all really, really great, but also kind of speaks to the fact that queer stories, in order to get to them, are only really done in the world of filmmaking where they don't get a lot of financing. And well, particularly queer stories from queer directors, because other than Itu Mama Tambien, all of our films we covered. That's correct. Were directed by uh, members of the queer community. Does that include uh, Paris is Burning? Uh, Yes. Yes. She's lesbian. Oh, okay, good. She's a lesbian. Okay. Um, Yeah. No, I, I think that was, I really enjoyed this. Like in the end, in retrospect, um, these were fantastic movies and I loved watching them. Uh, and talking I about would it say with y'all. that we slayed. We did. We I'll slayed. agree. I'll we sign off on that. I, I yeah. will, I will yeah. third that. We, we slayed. We slayed. It was great. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad that we chose to do a Pride <laughs> Month. Oh, and the other thing that I think was so great about this month featuring so many movies that people might not have seen. Right. Is that it came right after Boat Month. Which, which is this, yeah. You know, many, many sort of bigger studio films. Exactly. Yeah. And it's coming right before... Oh, fuck. Wait, do, do the do the do the fans not know what's coming sandwich. next? They don't, and it's time for it to be oh, announced. I think we should tell them what's coming up next. Next month, we, can we put like a, a punching sound in here somewhere? Yeah, gunshots, explosions, explosions, busters. <laughs> It's Blockbuster Month, baby. We're deep in the summer. It's It's going to be July. It's summer movie season. It's Blockbuster fucking time. Let's go all together, folks. Let's just go to a cinema where it's AC cooled. It's dark inside. Let's watch a fucking Blockbuster. Shovel some fucking popcorn into your mouth. Oh, my God. It's about to hit the three digits in fucking Fresno for like a minute. So I'm like, please send me to the theater. Oh, and we will do that, uh, folks, because we are starting with what is, for my money, the archetypal blockbuster. If you want a movie that completely sums up what American blockbuster filmmaking can be at yeah, its height this is, at its fucking peak we're, we're 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 starting with the seminal blockbuster and by the way folks this film was a, an, an event like so those of you that are you know maybe too young to remember this but the movie that we're going to talk about actually like created a movement you would all be dead if it wasn't for this movie that's right uh folks uh buckle up and welcome to earth because our next movie is roland emmerich's 1996 independence, independence day. day um it stars I'm, will smith it stars jeff goldblum uh, it stars bill pullman it stars vivica a fox and it stars motherfucking judd hirsch, judd hirsch. and randy quaid oh my god that's so good. I can't wait. I, I cannot, cannot wait. I can't wait to watch this for the 80th time. This is a fucking Harris household VHS fucking staple. Goddamn right. Alexis, you're quiet I'm, in the dark. I've, I've not seen all of this movie. I don't even remember the part that I have seen. Well, <laughs> because wow. I think I was like, I think I was holding somebody's hand and then I then I left to hit it and quit it. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, and I know exactly who it was. I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but I was there that night when this happened. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wasn't paying attention to the movie for sure. Yeah. But, well, uh, you know, I'm excited to see it this time. Get, you know what? This time you're going to see it sober. You're going to you're going to see it. it's going to be great. But you should. You should you should watch it sober and then watch it drunk. That's great. That's what we're that's what we're gonna do. It sure is. Um yeah, no, uh it's it's so good. Well, we can wax poetic about it on the next episode. Everyone, we can't wait to talk to you about this movie. And uh 
if you want to find Independence Day, uh, you can find it on, uh, well, you could rent it on basically any streaming service, YouTube, Prime. Yeah. Uh, if you have stars, if you're a freak who has stars, it's on stars. And you can also yeah. find it on our shelf. You can find it on our fucking shelf. And <laughs> if you want to find us, the film majors, on social media, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Film Majors Pod. And if you want to shoot us an email, tell us what you thought. Well, if you want to tell us what you thought about Queer Cinema Month, and what blockbusters you might like us to discuss. Here's a hint. We're still trying to select one from the 2010s, and we haven't come up with a uh, definitive pick. So let us know your thoughts. Send us an email at filmmagerspod at gmail.com. Oh, I, I, this is a side note. Uh, I thought I thought I thought I had a, a a pick for the 2010s, but oh, you do. You well, do? then never mind. Don't well, fucking send wait, us a pick. That, wasn't that what you asked me? And I sent you like a voicemail and or like a vo- audio note, and then you were like, "Yeah, that's what it's gonna be." I think we changed our mind. I don't we? know. I don't know that we did. I, I, I we'll no discuss idea. this once we it, stop recording. As long as it's unstoppable, then we're, don't we're send down. don't send us an oh email. We take it back. Send us an email about something else. Yeah, Alexis. Alexis is picking week four, folks. Yeah, it, it's get, you. You get out of here. Get the fuck you, out of here. Get you the go away. I literally didn't have any say on anything else. So yeah, I feel like I should get at least <laughs> that's one fair. pick. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's yeah, fair. good call. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. I did. This month, and uh, we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Yeah. See you next time. See you on the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs>